The Grappling Hour is brought to you by No Gi BJJ Gear. Use the promotional code GRAPPLINGHOUR15 to save 15% off of whatever you put in your cart. And Dodgy Collected. Dodgy Collected. Creating jiu-jitsu gear for those who love to train after a hard day's work and for those who live the jiu-jitsu lifestyle from their mom's couch. That's actually what it says. I'm reading it verbatim. Anyway, go buy from them. What's up, everybody? It is your friendly neighborhood BJJ podcast for Rafa Sparza here with the very beginning of season three of the Grappling Hour. First and foremost, thank you to everybody who has tuned into the show, has driven us past 250,000 views, helped us get over 170 athletes, and produce way, way over 200 episodes of Grappling Hour content. So before we get to our action-packed show, I want to start at the very top by telling you guys what's in the future for Grappling Hour. Here it is. So we're not going to be doing daily episodes anymore. I know. During COVID, you got used to seeing me almost daily uh, interview people from all over the UFC, Bellator, LFA, every grappling show there is, even the bad ones. Because there are some bad ones. You know which ones I'm talking about. I'm not going to name them by name, but they know who they are. I would tell you this, though. Even though we aren't going to be coming daily, we're still going to load our shows up for you guys to get the most possible content that you know, you love, and the interviews that I think, for my money, still the best in the business. So, having said that, I know normally we like to bring on one guest and make them the centralized figure, but for the season premiere of number three of our like show's run, I thought we'd jam-pack it. We have a ginormous show. So it is my hope that you truly love it. You get to see a new era of the show happen. And uh, I thank you guys so much for understanding. And, and obviously, if you wouldn't mind giving some love to our sponsors, that's NokiBJJGear.com. If you go to them, use the promotional code GRAPPLINGHOUR15, you'll get 15% off of whatever you put in your cart. And to our friends over at Dodgy Collective, those guys support the athletes who make the sport that we truly, truly love. Go check out their artwork as well. It's super, super rad. All right, let's start this thing off with a bang. Straight off of their wins at Submission Underground and their competitive success over at Who's Number One over the weekend, we start today's show off with one, William Tackett and Cody Steele. All right, our next guests. You may recognize them for their work on Who's Number One this weekend, but you might also recognize them for their work on Submission Underground 18. Why would they be able to compete on two different broadcasts over two separate days? Well, they basically took a flight, they got themselves on over to uh, the Chail, what is it, Sug Island is what they're referring to. So these guys gave us a lot of quality match time. They are two of the most prolific competitors out there. 
I would go over their accolades, but I'd rather just talk to them. You know them. You love them. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back to the show. For the first time being dual interviewed, one, William Tackett and Cody Steele. Gents, how are you guys doing this evening? We're doing good. Yeah, doing great. Thank you for having us on the show. Absolutely. It's always a blast to see you guys. So do you guys plan to compete together? Are you putting yourself as a package deal now? Like, if I was a promoter, I'd just think to myself, oh, I just got extra there. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of the times, uh, one of us will get a match. And when it's like, if one if one gets a match, they'll be like, hey, can my teammate Cody get a match? Or, hey, can my teammate William get a match? And normally they're always down and they're pretty excited about it. So it's like, yeah, it's like we're like a little package deal, but it works out. So it's cool. Yeah, we always just try to plug each other in for matches. If, you know, there's an opening, we'll always ask if one of us can get on it. Because it's always better if we're both competing together Mm -hmm. so we can, like, you know, ramp up the camp together, um, cool down together, everything, everyone to match. I know that it is rare that it happens, but every so often I see that you guys – actually get split apart do you get sad when you get split apart does that break up the squad of you guys do you get a little bummed when you can't be there for each other like that yeah yeah we like to always be there for each other you know um sometimes most of the time it's kind of like if we're not together competing it's because he's like maybe in florida and then i'm in california on the same weekend or something like that but if it's like if he's competing and i don't got nothing going on I most likely will be there at least for him to support, you know, so. Yeah, we always try to be there. If we don't have, like, something else going on, we'll always be there, you know, trying to be each other's corner or something. And uh, it kind of sucks if we're, like, split up in different areas, competing in different spots. It's cool because we get to kind of represent in two different areas of the country or sometimes the world, but um, not all the time is uh, that ideal for us. We like to compete together and kind of hype each other up. And just be there for each other, like, moral support as well, you know. I want to say there was one particular moment during, uh, yeah, I think you were talking about the Florida split when you guys had to go ahead and uh, go different places. And I just thought, oh, that seems sad. Like, I, I enjoy seeing you guys on the same card all the time anyway. So there is that. I must ask, because this was something that was posed to me during our fight companion over the weekend. Does your squad have an official name? And if so, what is it? Fight Factory. Yeah, yeah just okay. Fight Factory Boys or something. I don't know, Texas Boys. <laughs> Not too sure. That's fine. There was just a moment when I saw you guys hitting the hashtag of your BFF squad, and I was like, okay, listen, that's not the worst idea when you have one squad that's known for death in their name, and I was like, is that their way of going, like, the subversion of that, or what are they doing on that well, side? BFF. BFF stands for Brazilian Fight Factory, so it, like it works because like we're best friends, but it also works because like Brazilian Fight Factory. Yeah. So best friends forever for sure. Yeah, <laughs> I just thought of it. I was like, you know what? The really weird part of that is <clears throat> that's such a name that most people would give shit to, but you guys are not also the people we can really give shit to because you're quite good at jujitsu. So it works out nicely. But I said, man, what a ballsy move if these guys pushed all in they're like yeah call us bff squad see what happens yeah bff squad works great (laughs) (laughs) well let's talk a little bit about matches um i think what i'm gonna do is i'm actually gonna ask one of you to talk about the others matches over the weekend so william i'm gonna have you start talking about uh cody's match with dante leon 
Yeah, so it was a really good uh, camp leading up to it. We felt great. Uh, we really studied Dante's game a lot. And when it came down to it, it was it was a good match. It was pretty even. It wasn't like Cody got completely dominated or anything. He only lost by decision. But um, he just kind of was like one step behind in that match. Dante was able to like capitalize early on and just kind of keep Cody in positions where Cody was uncomfortable and normally isn't kept. And, um, you know, it was a close match. Cody had some things going for him in, in the match, and then Dante was – you know, had some things going for him as well. So, uh, you know, we're just going to get back into the gym and keep fixing those mistakes and keep getting better. And I guarantee you the next time that they meet, it's going to be completely different. I'll ask this over to Cody. Cody, how did you feel about getting that match? It seemed like a, a fun opportunity. Uh, what would, what did you feel like you would have liked to have seen happen in that match differently? Um, I feel like uh, it would have been better for me, to, you know, if I could have just pulled the trigger more. Um, maybe sometimes, like, when you compete at a high level, you have to, like, uh, believe in yourself or you're just, you know, sometimes, like, people see these high-level competitors competing and, like, you look at them in a different way, you know? And it's hard to believe sometimes that you're on the same mat with, uh, standing across from that person. So I feel like I should have, like, pulled the trigger. I feel like I respected them a little bit too much. Um, but I felt I felt them and, you know, I didn't, it wasn't, like, I felt extremely outclassed, you know. I just needed to, I needed to go back and I'm working on the things, you know. I went training today and me and William were talking a lot and uh, broke down a lot of things that I need to fix. But, you know, it's all, it's it's good, you know. All of, the, all of it's good. It's just, it's experience for me. And, you know, lo- losses and losing is what I've done pretty much my whole jujitsu career anyways. I've taken a lot of losses, man. And losing is not new to me and it, doesn't you know if anything it makes me a lot better and that match definitely made me grow a lot you know i had to fight one of the best in the world and i feel like i've been doing that a lot this year so you know it's gonna be good after this the challenge is obviously at a black belt level continue to get harder with the higher talent that you're going up against i would ask this at what point did you decide okay yeah i know i kidded you about this in the past but sans rash guard again here because it seemed like I was watching the Laker game. I go to see over that way, and I'm like, oh, no, we went back to this. Because I'm sure you saw Dante come out with a rash guard. He probably had uh, a little bit of, not an advantage, but just something else uh, that might have given him just a slight edge. Yeah, I mean, he's a, he's a thick dude. He's a, he's a powerful dude. And um, it, it started getting, like, uh, really, like, sweaty out there, too. So when he, had, when he didn't have the rash guard on, it definitely makes it a little bit different. So... I think, too, like, after I took my rash guard off, we were both just, like, oiled up and greasy. So it was just, like, it was really hard to do a lot out there in general, you know. But it was a good match. And I'm, I'm hoping, you know, I'm definitely going to see him again. And it's going to be good because I'm just going to go back to the drawing boards, work on the things, and I'm going to fight other competitors. And I'm going to work my way back up and, you know, get after it again. Well, I guess the reason I ask it is because without you doing that, we wouldn't have gotten one of the best memes I've seen as a result of that. And that came from Ivan and Ivan's free Willie meme, I think <laughs> was one of the most spectacular things I've seen. I have asked him if he can give me a copy of it. Maybe I'll superimpose it over this, but I looked at that and I said, well, Cody, you know, in between the days, I know uh, taking a loss isn't always the funnest thing in the world, but at least looking at that, you have to laugh. Oh yeah, I think I like, woke up the next morning or whatever day we're about ready to compete, and I was like, "Damn!" I was like, "William, go look at my story. It's hilarious." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Someone just posted some funny shit about me." 
yeah he's a good guy i i enjoy Ivan a lot so let me ask this now i'm gonna go over to cody i'm gonna ask you cody to talk us through williams match with one jason rao yeah it was it was a really good match um I think we went in there, like, very cautious, but we, we went in, like, extremely confident, you know? Like, we knew what he was going to do. We knew he was going to sit and pull guard right away and attack the legs. But, you know, last time they fought, William was, like, young, you know? He was still a purple belt or – yeah, you were a purple belt then. Yeah, and, I only had my purple belt for, like, a week. Yeah, and he was, like, 170 pounds, but he was not even a solid 170 pounds. He was still, like, 166, you know, around there, and – and he, and he beat Rao, you know, so now they're like fast forward, you know, a little bit in the future and William's now walking around at 188, 190 and his leg locks are like way more high level. His technique, his passing is like getting like extremely good. So we came in and we were very confident and William knew he was going to be able to pass both ways on the guard and he kind of just wear it on him, wear it on him. And then after that, he just like cinched up. And the thing with William is... He, if you roll with him, uh, he will. You, if you sweep him or you do anything to him, he will like figure something out in his brain. He'll figure it out. He'll go home. He'll think about it. He'll come back, and then he'll have an answer for it. So like when they fought the first time, uh, William really like got to like dissect that match after, and like really got to study him. And so I mean, after that, like I felt like William had all the answers to his um, to to everything that he was trying to throw at him. And then after that, I think he started to wear him down a bit. He looked like he started getting a little tired, and then he just kind of went through and then snapped, snatched that, like, really awesome triangle and then finished it with, like, the Kimura, you know? So it was really awesome to see. I have to give you a compliment here, William, which is that uh, while at my place where I was watching it, I had certain people who were around looking over my shoulder, and they're like, what's that? I was like, oh, this kid's really savage level, and he's about to, oh! <laughs> like, they looked at it, and they go, oh, wow. And I go, yeah, he's, uh, he's a friend of the show. He's a good thing. He's a friend of the show because he's, uh, he's really good. So uh, even the civilians were very pleased with it. Um, I want to ask you though: When did you know that you had it locked up? At what point did you know that you were showing up that submission? Um, right when I first like attacked like the submission, it wasn't super tight. Uh, that's a submission I hit quite a bit, and a lot of times they don't turn into me; they turn away. So it allows me to lock like that figure four really easily behind their back and hit like the backwards triangle. But he turned and faced me, so it kind of undid the figure four. So I had to attack his arm and um, use that to kind of like cinch everything up. So I climbed up the top position and kind of got like some grips on his head and stuff, and then rolled back to my back and I locked the wrong side triangle. Normally, when I lock that, it's like a sealed deal. Like I'm pretty confident there. Um, so as soon as I locked like the reverse triangle, he was already kind of gurgling and stuff. So I was pretty sure that I was going to get it once I uh, landed on my back and figure forward. It just looks smooth, dude. So when you say that it, it's something that's within your game that you're used to doing, it looked great, man. So that was a that was a very impressive thing. All right, gents. So what does the turnaround time look for you guys? Like, obviously, you're not on this event, though. I've heard in the past you might go do something like a night game of flag football or something of that effect. <laughs> but what is the turnaround time when you know you've got to get a flight? that next day to head on over uh, to the Oregon? Um, I mean, 
you want to answer that one? Yeah, I mean, we just normally will go home and kind of chill, make sure that we relax because we have to, you know, obviously we just fought, so our bodies are kind of all stressed out, and we have to catch a flight the next day, and that's already kind of stressful in your body, so we just make sure that we get enough food in us that night and get to bed kind of early if we can. It's kind of hard after a tournament because, you know, your mind's going, whether you win or loss, and your mind's like going crazy, you had that adrenaline, so it's hard to go to sleep, but we try to get to bed as early as possible, um, and then wake up, do what we need to do as far as like eating, and then get to the airport and on the plane. Yeah, we we kind of like, I feel like now it's it's pretty, we've had some experiences, you know, like back in the day, or like a couple of years ago, we were, we were like competing all the time, and traveling, at, we would go fight here, and then the next day we would fly out, and then go fight somewhere else, so I feel like or we compete on one weekend, the weekend after we go compete again. So I feel like we're just kind of like we just we're kind of getting used to all the uh, adrenaline or like we pack before and then we're like, oh, we got to go to the airport in the morning. Like I think like when we fought on third coast, we were so like hyped up that we won everything. I think we fell asleep at three, had to wake up at five, drive all the way back to Austin, get on the airplane. We flew all the way to Chicago got off the airplane, took an Uber, got straight... Went We're like straight changing to the in the car, yeah. for the, getting our nerve gear in the Uber. <laughs> went straight to the event, and then they called us up, and then we just jumped on the mat, and we had we just started fighting. And then, <laughs> yeah, then after that, we went and ate. It was all good. I still think of it like this. You know, I remember being your agent and doing competitions for both sports and, and for speech, and there is a lot of excitement. It's not even anxiety about, like, but performance or you're not believing in yourself. It's just that sense of like, man, I can't wait to do it. So it's that like anticipation kind of moment for you guys to have that almost twice in a weekend though. Uh, <laughs> what does that burnout feel like once that submission underground is done though? It's, it's, it's pretty, it's, it's good. You know I mean? It's, it's worth it at the end, you know, especially when you win or even lose, you know, cause it's like, if I lose and William wins, I'm I'm just I'm extremely happy. I'm just excited. Like if I won, you know, I mean, like it's funny because like we'll always be like, like he'll go out, I'll fight and win. Okay, like yeah, good job, good job. And then after that, he'll go out there, he'll fight, he'll come in, he'll be like yeah, good job. And then like I'm like hey, let's go over here, and then we'll go around the corner, and then we'll like, yeah, and then we'll, just, we'll start jumping at each other, and, like, ah. and then we just start going crazy, you know, and then walk out, act like, you know, nothing happened. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like this past time at Sun, um, I think he fought his match, and he got a heel hook, something that he, like, has never done before. Yeah. And I was like, good job, good job, and I was about to go on, so I was just, like, staying in the zone. And, you know, I just pat him on the back, and mm-hmm. good work. And then I went out and fought, I got the choke, and then um, we, like, went to the back room, we are like, yeah, and then, like, we walked in the back room, like, shut the door and looked at her, like, woo! <laughs> and then tried <laughs> slapping it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to say, that goes exactly the way I thought it would go. Uh, I just really hope that at no point does anybody, like, walk it at you guys so that you just are, like, super hype and excited, and you have to, like, play it off like, no, hey, man, no, uh, I'm uh, I'm tired, too. Let's, let's get on out of here. So uh, we used to do that with our speech kids because it was very important when people would compete you don't want to give out of an idea like you haven't been there before. So we would always tell them, we're like, no matter how much you want to celebrate, how much you want to do your thing, 
sometimes even when you find like a room to like, yes, someone might see or hear you. So really be smart about where you would go and pick your celebration room. So we tell them, we're like, just don't, you know, look like dummies is really what we're asking you guys. And I guarantee you with sports, it's a little different. They're encouraging you to celebrate. So I don't mind it if you guys, uh, you know, find uh, your own spot, but it's got to feel good together to compete and win. Now I'm going to go the opposite way. Cody, I'm going to ask you to walk us through Williams match over at submission underground. Uh, man, he did. He did really well. Um, he fought Checo and if you want to Checo, Checo is like, he's very tough. He's a, he's a big guy. He's a, he's a black belt. He's, he, um, he's super hard to submit. Uh, I think Craig Jones just fought him not that long ago. And then Craig Jones can sub him in the time frame, and they went into overtime. And uh, William, he just freaking just went forward. You know, we were talking, we were like, like go forward, don't back up. He's going to try to bully you. I was like, take it to him, you know. And so William only walked forward on him, um, grabbed him, pulled guard, put him in closed guard, was trying to do a lot of different things. And then he put him in half guard, and he did this move called, like, the wibble-wibble, where he, like, shifts his hips and then gets him off balance and then swooped over to the back and – uh, William, like, he's got extremely good uh, back tack, so it's like right when he took his back, I knew, and then after that, he just closed his body triangle on him, locked it up, and jumped him, and you know, made it look pretty easy. You know, I mean, I tell people all the time, like Williams, he's he's definitely like the future. You know, I mean, he's so smart when it comes to jujitsu, like like breaking someone's game down. Like I said, if you fight him, you do something to him, he's gonna go home, he's gonna think about it, and then he'll have an answer for you. So, I mean, he's, you know, he's definitely going to be like ADC champion and stuff in the future. It's, people, it's, it's pretty cool to train with him and it's really cool to watch him grow and be a part of it. And, you know, it's, it's going to be crazy. All right, Cody, I'm going to have to ask you this because I feel I'll get a more honest answer out of this. Is William looking at the betting lines when they're being presented about him in a match? Yeah, we were, we were looking at that. Yeah, yeah. yeah people were saying, like, you know, uh, they were going to bet money on him and all that. We were talking about it a little bit. Because yeah, I'll tell you this much, Will, and here's a – I don't want to say – I don't think it's a compliment compliment to you, but I just think it was – I had so much stuff to do then. I don't really ever get to the point where I want to bet on people. And as a host, I try to have pretty clean slates on who I bet on because <laughs> there's a high likelihood I will interview them. So – I saw your betting odds, and no disrespect to, to Gabe or at all in any of that sort of deal, but I said, oh, my God, they want to give me money. And my friend was trying to talk me out of it. He was like, why would you take those odds? And I was like, have you seen William? Like, oh, the momentum with the kid, his style, I don't think you're really looking at it the way you should. So, uh, okay. I just I wanted to compliment you and say, I didn't bet on you, but if I did, I would have made money. So, uh, but I also encourage other people to bet on you as well. So I would ask this though, William, did it feel good to get that win? And what specifically felt good about getting that particular win on that stage? Uh, it just felt good because I knew he was going to be really tough to submit. And um, I knew he was going to be really strong, real heavy MMA pressure because he's a, he fights in MMA here also. And, um, you know, he's an experienced guy, black belt, um, Real strong dude. He's a lot bigger than me, or at least he was when we fought. So um, it was just really kind of felt really accomplishment accomplishing to get the submission because I saw him go with Craig and he kind of defended everything pretty well. Even though he like shelled up in certain spots, he 
wasn't able to, you know, he was able to survive and Craig wasn't able to get the submission. So it was kind of cool that I was able to kind of, not really even miss position, I was able to go straight to the back and get the submission. I don't have to like chain other things together. So it was just pretty rewarding and it was pretty cool. It's awesome. Well, I'm going to do the same, William, if you could walk us through Cody's match with, as you mentioned, uh, one of his first heel hook finishes, I believe. Uh, there may be more that I don't know of, but please walk us through it. Yeah, so he went out there and pressed the guy up against the cage and started playing like a heavy underhook game and uh, body lock type situation from standing. And um, I thought he was going to suplex the guy. I was like pretty sure he was Bro, gonna... you and the rest of us, we were watching live, and I'll get to you, Cody. This is kind of like when you just have to sit and eat it. You can't talk yet. But we were watching that shit live, and I saw him start to get that back kind of grip and I was like, oh, no, he wants to suplex the shit out of him, and he's just trying to figure out how. And I think he can, but he's looking almost to see where the cage ends and begins to figure out where his clearance for landing may be. But, yeah, we were watching and we noticed. All right, so the dog inside Cody wanted to suplex the guy. But <laughs> the good guy inside Cody did not want to suplex the guy because the guy was actually really nice and polite. He was like, came up and talked to us before the match. So I think Cody was like, oh, I want to suplex him. I want to suplex him. And then the good guy on the shoulder was saying, don't do it. Don't do it. So uh, I think that's what happened. But, uh, yeah, regardless, Cody, you know, controlled the feet for a while and then eventually uh, just sat to his guard, which he doesn't do a whole lot. But, uh, you know, Cody's been working on different parts of his game and, in the gym quite a bit and you know he's really well-rounded used to he was like a really heavy wrestler and really heavy top game and now his guards getting really good you know he went 15 minutes with Dante and Dante only passed one time so that's like really good for us because before Cody had like no attacks on his back and now he's getting like really dangerous off of his back as well so the fact that he was comfortable to pull through his guard and even just start going to the legs and finish an outside heel hook was pretty cool and um, yeah I mean it's super awesome to see things that we've been working on in the gym and be able to go out there and pull it off at a high level too. So, Cody, I'll let you respond to the wrestling moment in a second. But I do want to follow up by asking, did it feel good to show off a different side of your game, show off a little bit even more versatility? Yeah, it, it felt good. I mean, like I said, like I, I've been working a lot of uh, things that I see in myself because I watch a lot of film on just myself in general and I see a lot of holes in my game. And I know, like, a lot of people are like, oh, we don't see him work on his back. And, I mean, I, I've never had, like, a great guard, but I know I'm, I'm getting more confident with it, and it's decent. But uh, I'm just, I'm, I've, been, uh, I've been able to do a lot of heel hooks and do a lot of attacks on my back. It's just majority of the time I like to, like, do takedowns or people just pull guard anyway. So if they do that, I'm just going to stay on top and keep pressure passing, you know. But, um yeah, I mean, it's it's good because now I can kind of like, you know, if, if someone doesn't think I have much of a guard or they think they can, you know, get get past me, I can uh, throw some different type of stuff at them, you know, instead of just being only known as like a top guy and pressure passing and all that. So, yeah, it's something that Cody's really been working on a lot. Like, I think ever since I've been training with him, we've worked on guard and it's not been something that has really come together till like probably this last year in his guard. I'm telling you, like, I consider myself now more of like a pass-heavy guy, and um, I pass everyone's guard pretty easily in our gym. Um, the only guys that really give me trouble are like Cody and Andrew, and those guys like have good guards. So like for Cody's guard to be like the toughest in our gym, and our gym gym is pretty tough. We have a lot of talent in our gym. You know, it definitely says a lot, and you know he works hard at it. He's been you know studying DVDs, and we've been drilling daily. So um, yeah, 
just shows that like he works hard and will get to wherever he wants to be. You know, I tell some of our guys, I'm like, sometimes your jujitsu game takes on what you believe it needs to be at that time. And so there may be developments that come along with it that you kind of go, oh, well, I don't really do that. That's not really what I do. I'm known as this guy. And you become like almost a brand where it's like, um, if people are expecting a Cody Steele match, they're going to get some wrestling in here, guys. So uh, not going to be a playing off of the guard, but that's a great thing to continue evolving it. I just think that sometimes we as fans who only get to see you guys in small increments don't get to see what you're working on or what you're cooking up as the next thing. So when you do get to see something like this and you do get a finish that brands out uh, a little bit of what you're working on, I know that has to feel good. All right, Cody, answer the question. How much were you thinking about suplexing that guy? And at what point did you decide maybe not? Well, I think the match started and I thought we were just going to like, you know, go head to head, which is like what I was like ready to do. But then I realized like in the match, he was kind of backing up. He wanted to play against the cage and I was like, okay. So I kind of like walked him down, walked him down. And then I walked back to the middle and then he slowly walked towards me. And I was like, shit, I only got five minutes. I need to work. And then, so I just went towards him and I was like, I'm just going to put him down. I'm going to pass and do my thing. But every time like I grabbed him, I was trying to like get him off the cage. Like I was like really trying to pull him off the cage. And then he was just like running to the cage, running to the cage. And then I got his back. And then I think like he, I mean, he's, he studied some of my stuff. He knows that I was doing suplexes. So he did really good at like sinking his hips really low, like just kind of like sagging his weight down. So it's like normally when people are fighting my hands and they're trying to like escape, then it's a lot easier for me to suplex, you know? And he, I definitely, he definitely was sagging his weight down. So if I picked him up, I didn't feel like I had much of an angle. I felt like I would have got caught under his legs, but um, he did a really good job at that. But um, after that, I was just like, you know, all right, I'm going to just, I just need to get this to the ground. And once I can get it to the ground, I think I can finish it and start working everything. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm always, I'm always looking for the big throw and the submit and like the suplexes and stuff, you know, like that's why I like to wrestle. It's kind of more why I like to stay on top and wrestle just because I can create more, entertainment from up there than you know my guard <laughs> you say entertainment but the rest of us who are watching this have an automatic thought of as it's happening live going oh no he's gonna do another ibjjf highlight reel oh yeah. shit so there was a little bit of rocky road for us there because i go listen i don't know that guy either all that well but i i don't wish him to be uh <laughs> malplaced one might say I would say this though this is part of the reason why we had to ask you is you had the look of a dad working on his yard who doesn't have his measuring stick who doesn't know how something is like how far it is from one place to another and you're just kind of like hmm, 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 do I want it I don't know man so uh, <laughs> we had a good laugh about that I would ask you this where did you see in transition that you had that finish? Because one thing that was really notable about it is, and a lot of people don't know this until they get into a cage, is that the positioning of where you were for the heel hook finish didn't really allow him to start kind of rolling out of that. That that gate, that like, you know, the, the, the fence of it, if what you call it for poor word, is you basically had him stuck when you had him dead to rights. So when did you see that you had that submission? Um, so yeah, like, I mean, I mean, we were pretty much fighting against the cage the whole time. And then, so I know once I pulled guard, I got underneath him and when he rolled, he tried to roll away. I felt his back hit the cage and I can kind of just see over my shoulder cause I was digging for his heel. 
Um, I could see how close we were to the cage. So I was like, oh, I just need to grab the leg. And then uh, I got it. But I was, because I was expecting a roll and I was going to transition and put my legs to the outside and so I could get a nice deep one. But once I felt his back hit the cage, um, I was like, oh, he can't do an extra roll. So I just scooped up the heel and then uh, I just went with it because I knew that he wouldn't be able to do anything from there. But it was kind of nice, you know. I, I don't know. I just kind of like thought of it in mid, like mid fight. I was just like, yeah, he's not going to roll. I just, once I felt <laughs> his back hit the uh, cage and bounce off of it, I was like, okay, I got it. It's pretty dope. Congrats to both of you guys on that. I was super stoked to see you both come away with wins again, hashtag BJJ squad or BFF squad uh, coming through and doing what they do. William, I have to ask this because you told me this off air and I didn't even know it, but I need some clarification on this. Are you trying to angle for a match with Shanji Habero? Uh, yes, sir. Yeah. Um, Michael Sears had asked me at the event who I was, wanting to have a match with, like, the 88 kilogram division. And uh, some of you guys may know, maybe you guys don't, but Shanji Hibera is actually moving to Austin to start his own academy called Six Blades Austin. And it's literally, like, probably, I don't know, like four, three miles from our gym yeah, or less. Like it's, like, really close. So, um, you know, of course there's going to be, like, that, like, rivalry stuff, but also there's going to be that, like, you know, we can sell a lot of tickets, too, because it's two guys in the same location, and there's going to be, like, a big fan base here in Austin for that match. So I just figured, you know, it kind of all makes sense. You know, we're in the same category now. Um, I'm actually now ranked number five in 88 kilograms, and I'm not sure if he's ranked or not. So, and, you know, he's a legend of the sport. He's won, like, ADCC and all kinds of stuff, so it should be an honor for me. And, um, two, he's... Uh, now getting into the nogi scene again, he just had a match with Wagner. So, you know, he's getting to the nogi scene again. We're both the same weight and um, we're both here in Austin. So I just figured it kind of all made sense. So I just think it'd be an awesome match and I have a lot of respect for him. So I just think it'd be an honor. To be fair, I think your best argument was right up top of being like, well, he's got a school here and we could sell some tickets, guys. So if you want to you want to get there. I think that's a, a very compelling argument to make. So, yeah, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm kind of into that. I think you've talked me into it. So, good for you. I would just say if I'm Shanji, and I know he's moved, you know, the dude's probably looking to, like, furnish his house first. He's just literally putting down groceries or something, and he goes, really? This kid's already here. I haven't even gotten the couch I want yet. Like, oh, my God, kid. So... Uh, I do also like this, and I want to pay respect to this, which is the idea that you're going full Cobra Kai and being like the polite kid version of, oh, there's going to be a battle between us? Let's start it now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, William's, like, extremely humble, and he's, like, just he's the nicest person in the world. I mean, like, literally, like, he doesn't want smoke or no problems with anybody, you know? He just, he just wants, to, literally, he wants to fight the best in the world. Like I said, like, he's... He's got like out of this world jujitsu, and like he's gonna be the AC champ in the future. And just nobody wants to fight him. I mean, I don't blame them, but I mean, like he's that's the path that he's going on, and um, he's just trying to get the biggest fights. You know, like he's trying to break out, and he's, it's just I feel like it's just a matter of time for him, honestly. Like it's and him and Andrew, you know, his little brother. It's just it's just a matter of time for those two, and they're gonna they're gonna get their matches. And if no one wants to take the matches, and they're gonna go to the trials, they're gonna win the trials, and then. Go to the ADCs, and then that's when they'll do it. But you know, they, we just at the end of the day, we just want to we want to fight the best. You know, we train hard, extremely like extremely hard every day, all the time. You know, we're on each other consistently. So 
we just want to compete and you know compete with the best so it's nothing like no no like calling out and being disrespectful i mean it's it's jujitsu and if you're like highly ranked then you know you should fight and if williams ranked number five in the world now then they don't have much of a reason to say no you know so yeah i think it's just more because we just train really hard and uh, you know we train i think harder than anyone i know um i've talked to a lot of high level guys and I don't think they train near as hard as us. We we push ourselves in and out of the gym and we're always together pushing each other, holding each other accountable. So I think it's just us more wanting to be able to showcase our hard work, not necessarily wanting to prove a point that we're better than other people or anything like that. Just wanting to showcase that, you know, we work hard and, you know, just do what we've put our lives into, you know. We wake up every day for this. You know, I could go to school and, you know, get a good degree and make good money, but instead I choose to you know, grind and push my head into the, the gym every single day. And, um, you know, it's just something that I'd like to see a little bit of reward with just, you know, being in the competition scene and seeing my, my hard work kind of paying off. You know, win or lose, just being out there with those guys, you know. Well, that's good for you, man. I mean, here's the good news. I'll tell you this right now because I know how this story ends. So what's going to happen is, is right now you're going to be the young gun calling out the old guard. And then one day there's going to be the, new guard that comes in and they'll be calling you out. So at some point when you think you're sitting there and getting settled in another place, there's going to be a young William Tackett that's going to show up. That's just like you. It's probably going to do the same. So it's how the story goes. It's supposed to go on. And, you know, hopefully if we can make that happen, I think you make a compelling uh, sort of thing and you just want the best competition you can get. So that that way in the future, you can pay it for it and do that sort of thing too. I would ask this, gents. You both have been working on BJJ Brain. I keep seeing the posts about it. Do you mind describing what that is? Yeah, just we're doing like an online platform for customized and personalized jiu-jitsu learning. So it's going to be basically with Cody and I. Andrew will be on there eventually, but right now it's going to be Cody and I putting out content, uh, whether it's instructional videos, um, you know, personalized training online via like Zoom or something like that. Um, you know, all kinds of different stuff. We have a lot of ideas, but right now we're just putting it out there. We're wanting people to kind of get the idea that we have something going and it's going to be really cool. It's just be a way that guys can learn online, but not just learn, but like personalized training for their game, you know, where it's a little bit more, not just you buy a DVD, but you get like these personalized, like follow-up training sessions with us basically. And we can help critique and with your game and stuff like that. So yeah. It's been pretty cool. Yeah, we're working we're working pretty hard on it. Like right now we're we're just in the process of like collecting things, but we have things coming in, you know, like cameras, mics, mats and things like that. And we wanna be able to uh grow and be able to help other people and like I said, like personally, like, you know, be able to help their game. You know, they, a lot of people are sending us DMs like how can we do this or what's you know, this and we wanna be able to help them and help them with their drills or help them what kind of mistakes they're using or things like that. And we want to just be more personal and things just, just, you know, like that. We just want to be able to help and then eventually be able to, you know, like our, you know, end goal is, you know, to be able to make enough money and then be able to help other athletes, like younger athletes that, you know, want to try to come up and compete a lot. And then eventually we want to try to help, you know, sponsor other athletes when we get to that point. But I mean, right now everything's in the beginning phase and on the whiteboard phase and, you know, so we're, we're, we're just working on it a lot, and eventually, like, it'll be it'll be out. But, yeah, we're excited. Yeah, it'll, co- it'll all come together eventually. But right now, we're just trying to create awareness. 
I would say, as a party that's making no money from this, um, buy low, sell high. Like, get them while their rate's good right now, because it's going to get really ridiculously high in a few years. So I'm just saying if people are really smart and want to take advantage of that knowledge, it's like bringing a private to you. So I think that's a very fun way to look for it. And a lot of people are still in impacted training where they're not training as much as they would like to. So I think that might be a good way to supplement it because if you can't train every day, you can at least train your brain. So, uh, wait, did I just give you guys your slogan? You can at least train your brain. Trademark. Don't use that unless you give me money. You hear this right now. (laughs) This is going to work. I'm going to send this to the, the trademark office very quickly to make sure I get at least X many cents per the dollar for use of that phrase. Gents, I got to tell you something. I was very stoked to see you were on both of these programs over the week. And I was more than impressed with both of your performances on both shows. You guys always are people we can count on. William, was this your debut for Submission Underground? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's what I thought. I always have that moment where I go, what's that? It was my debut for Who's Number One as well. That one I don't care about. But (laughs) uh, for Submission Underground, though, for you to not be on that program is absurd to me. Cody obviously has been on there before. Like I mentioned before, you guys are a good package deal. I think if promoters are smart, they keep that going. I'm just saying December, (coughs) Submission Underground, probably bring them back on. You know, they, they give good matches. I'm just saying. And more importantly... Like it was just like with you and Keith, where I said, "How have they both never been on here?" So it was very exciting to see all of you, you kids, not just go, not just thrive, but put on a show, which is all we can ever ask for as fans. So I want to make sure that you guys are giving your due respect for doing some amazing things over the weekend. It's just a small uh, reflection of how much hard work that I know you guys are putting in down in the Tejas. Thank you. Thank you so much. Not a problem. All right, gents. Well, before we get on out of here, can we take care of any people you want to shout out or any sponsors that you want to give a nice thank you to that helped you guys get ready for this past crazy weekend? Yeah, so as always, Brazilian Fight Factory. Um, thank you to our team, our coach, Rodrigo Cabral, um, always pushing us in and out of the gym. Um, our teammates always push each other as well, um, whether it's Cody, Andrew, Kevin, all you guys. Um, and then my sponsors, VHTS and Level Black, are my two new sponsors. So I got sponsors now, and uh, definitely check them out on Instagram and their websites. They got some really sick gear. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, thank you to uh, Genesis for helping me. You know, that means the world. And then yeah, also uh, Level Level Black sponsoring uh, me and William. You guys are helping out us a lot, and we really appreciate it. Thank you. You make everything what we do possible. So we really appreciate it. Well, I would tell you guys to keep up the good work, but you already do that. So as uh, your Instagram stories remind us every day, because you guys are two hours ahead of me. So normally by the time I wake up, I've already seen you guys do something. And it's very (laughs) debilitating because I'm like, I haven't even made coffee yet. So this is really (laughs) annoying, kids. You could could slow it down. I want to say thank you to both of you guys. It's a very special episode for us. This is our third season premiere. I wanted to make sure we were uh, taking in not only care of the people who worked hard over the weekend, but people who have meant to us a lot on this show. So my appreciation to both of you guys for taking the time to chat with us today. Thank you so much. Yeah, I really appreciate it. You always having us on here. Absolutely, man. All right, you guys. Keep it locked here. We'll be right back. All right, my thanks to William and Cody. I very much appreciate their time. I actually tricked them into doing the interview together. I hit them up individually, 
but I actually wanted them to do the interview together. And guess what? Got my wish. Take that, guys. I knew it would work. <laughs> They're very, very incredible human beings. And I didn't want to say this on air. Hopefully, they stick around to hear me talk about this. But this week's match of the week honors goes to one Cody Steele versus Dante Leon. Kudos and respect to both of those gentlemen. And uh, there's not really a prize here. Not really, we'll have one of those things. Could be. Maybe we'll figure one out in the future. But for right now, we want to send our best to both of those gentlemen. And hey, you don't want to go anywhere because right now we're going to turn our attention to one Andy Night Night Varela. This gentleman has been impressing us, not only picking up previous uh, Grappling Hour Match of the Week honors, but just kind of a great resume full of spectacular matches. One thing that you know, if you see this guy is on a card, he is probably going to flip around, do some random ass shit that's just going to look so fun to watch that I get hype every time I see him involved in a grappling tournament. He's also got MMA experience, but he is one of those guys that we've seen on the scene, we've wanted to interview for some time, but it was this weekend where uh, he got a pretty big win that we wanted to commemorate against the very game one Nick Ronan. But we are happy to bring on the winner of this weekend's match against Nick Ronan, one Andy Varela. Andy, how are you doing, sir? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm doing great. Your voice is so chill. And I think it puts one thing into perspective because I do my research and I look at your Instagram before you guys come on the show. And on your Instagram, it's a little it's a little hard because not a lot of people can get away with this. But you do, my friend, in your about section or your little little area where people get to know you. It says, remember who you are from the Lion King. I don't know many fighters or hardcore grapplers who have the Lion King shouted out in their Insta bios. (laughs) Yeah. Um, That movie, well, yeah, I'm pretty, I don't know, I don't want to say nerd-like, but I'm definitely pretty common, you know. I'm chill, for sure. That's fair. I just imagine, you know, with your voice, you know, you, you're you not James Earl Jones, but it's definitely deep enough where you can get away with it and most people won't make fun of you. So I'll, I'll give you that to go off of right now. <laughs> cool. Oh, <Hell> yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Tell me a little bit about this, man, because there's such a great dynamicism to your movement. That has been something that we have been huge fans of for a long time. I would like to talk a little bit about particularly to start off this weekend, what did it feel like to get a match? And then I believe there was a last minute replacement in one Nick Ronan. Yeah. Um, I was pretty excited for the Leclerc match. Um, I liked the matchup. He attacks legs a lot. So I was pretty excited to see how my game does against a good leg locker. And then uh, he pulled out due to injury, I think. And then they gave me Nick Ronan, who... I believe I think he's been low key lately, but I believe he's pretty high level in that area as well, leg locking and back taking and all that. So I was pretty excited to see how I do uh, against that type of style. And he's a monster into himself. I mean, he recently just got his black belt. Um, he's one of the people. This is the weirdest part about the Danaher Death Squad extended family guys is they go, we have a junior varsity squad. And I was like, what the hell does it take to get on varsity? Jesus Christ. 
there's like three on varsity and you got 15 kids who are like, yeah, they're JV. So to me, when I see him, I know a lot about his game and I have the utmost respect for him as well. But when I saw him and you got matched up, I said that no offense, that gets me super excited about this match, just knowing your two styles. So I was actually really stoked because uh, Nick is a friend in the show as well. So tell me a little bit about this. Did it go kind of the way you thought it would? Because there was something that I thought that was really impressive initially when you started off the match, which was you really neutralized that game and utilized that cage really, really well. Yeah. Um, I I went into the match not with a game plan, really, but just an understanding of he was going to try to get on my legs. So as soon in my head, as soon as the match started, I wanted to get across the quick cage quicker than he could take the center of it, just so he couldn't invert freely and constantly move around. So yeah, the cage definitely was my friend. Well, that's the issue is that a lot of grapplers don't utilize that cage a lot of the times. And especially when you have somebody who is going to immediately pull the guard or you know that that is going to be something that they're going to do, the cage seems to be a nice equalizer to not only doing uh, a little bit more for you offensively, but it's also not a bad defensive tactic because it's so much harder for him to get a grip on your legs to the point where, oh, it's kind of neutralized them in a way that is uh, very engaging. And more importantly, I thought pressure, pressure, pressure was uh, the name of the game for you. Yeah, I had my head in his like chin the whole time, basically, like just driving my head into him. And I could like hear him getting tired and getting frustrated. Mm-hmm. Is that something that your training partners uh, get and, used to? Because uh, I know... Wow. You cut it up there. Sorry about that. Let me see if I can repeat the question. Is that something that your training partners get used to? Because I know a lot of the guys you train with, and uh, they're kind of savage level as well. So do those wall mats get a lot of use? Uh, they, they do, but in the gym, I'm more free. I'm like, I'm crazy in the gym. Like, if you saw me train, I'm pretty wild and nuts. Um. I typically don't pressure. I don't pressure guys like that. Uh, I'm more free, and I'm just attacking constantly, as opposed to wanting to hold people down. Don't worry, I've heard, and <laughs> I have eyes and ears everywhere. So uh, I've I've known that for some time. Oh, I do, and all I have to do is make usually one or two calls, and I can find out everything I need to know. I mean, it's just funny because with you, I don't even feel like I need to do that. I feel you do some of your best work when we get to see you on. Uh, elevated platforms like Submission Underground. And I feel like you've become a a very good showcase star for them because, dude, they're trying to make something happen in five minutes all the time. And there are a number of people who will not give you a show in five minutes. But as I mentioned previously in your intro, when I see you on a card, I just think to myself, oh, I don't care how boring the other person is, he's going to try and make it exciting. Yeah, for sure. Um that's why we do this, you know, uh, people forget that this is for the people at home, you know, and I watch people sometimes. I'm like, God damn, dude, like this is hard to watch. It's frustrating. I'm like, you're on a great platform. You have a chance to showcase yourself and you chose to be the most boring you can be. And I know every time I compete, I'm like, dude, I have, you know, I have the light right now. I got to do some, you know? 
That's really cool. Yeah, I have people all the time being like, Raph, we want to get you into Super Five. We want to do this. And I go, I'm negative ratings. Like, my jiu-jitsu is not what you do. What you do is fun and interesting. What I do is way slow and technical, and I swear to God, sometimes it takes me a while to get going, where I was like, we'd all want to go get something from the lobby if I was doing it. So I have the utmost respect for people who can make things highly, highly entertaining. Tell me a little bit about the aftermath. So obviously you push them through the entire regulation. What is going on in your mind as you're about to make that transition to going into that overtime? Um, In the overtime, I always get frustrated going to overtime in general, just because I want to be able to get my guys out in regulation and over time's always like, Oh, they get a free back take. And that's something I'm really good at is like not getting my back taken during a match. So like whenever I start with someone on my back, I'm frustrated, but uh, I heard he was, I heard he was good on the back. And of course he's one, he's kind of part of that Dan her death squad. So they all have good technical back theories or whatever. And uh, so I know he was going to be difficult on my back. And he has long legs, so it was going to be hard to get out. But I knew if I could get on his back, I was going to be able to squeeze his face, which I did. (laughs) Yeah, that squeeze looked uh, fairly nasty. So uh, kudos to you. We were watching, we do a little fight companion here. So when we were watching that, it was, uh, how do I say this? We have a rule on the fight companion, which is we will give you a toast if you get a submission within regulation. So, since it wasn't in regulation, we couldn't toast in overtime. But I did say famously on the show, as I said, you know what that gets. I can't give it a cheers, but I can give it the approving dad nod, which is like having like this cup and being like, you know, which is all you ever get from your dad, which tells you, oh my God, dad respected what I did. I was like, I feel like that's what we could do because that's a hard thing to do, man. And And I feel like, you mentioned it always feels nice to get a win over the guys from the East Coast. What was the feeling like from your team? You know, what were the notes that you were getting as a result of that? Uh, the notes I was getting before or after? After from the people, because obviously you got a lot of people who are excited for you. Yeah, what were some of the best notes that you got as a response to that match? Uh. Nothing really. Everyone always just tells me the same thing, really. No one ever gives me, like, some cool notes or anything. Everyone's just always, like, you're, I don't know, just hyping me up. Always the same thing. No one's ever giving me, like, technical advice. I'm like, hey, man, good job. Oh, no, I'm not, I'm not asking for technical advice. I'm just looking for who gives you the best message in terms of celebration. Or are they just so used to you having flashy and fun shit that they just go, eh, you didn't fly off a cage this time, so I guess yeah. that was okay. Good job winning. No, yeah. I get a lot of people reaching out to me. It's pretty cool. Like, a lot of a lot of the top guys in, like, the UFC and uh, grappling always message me, and it's always pretty cool to see that they're watching and interested in what I'm doing. Uh, so that's cool. And I know it wasn't as exciting, and that's frustrating because I want to be so bad. And then the whole time I was like, bro, I just want to get up and let's, let's bang, you know? And it... That's the hard thing is grappling's like I always wanna stand and like wrestle hard and get in crazy scrambles and I want it to be nuts and I want us both to be tired, but like guys typically pull guard on me pretty quick and they don't attack much, so it's hard to make a lot of stuff happen on my own tech typically. 
Well, that's one of the reasons why I felt like you versus Cody at one of the previous Submission Undergrounds uh, was, was something that we just dubbed Match of the Week. Because to me, I saw you at a game co-partner in that one of somebody who was like, yeah, I want to bang too. And that really does make a difference because there are versions of jiu-jitsu where you strategically, to get a win, may not engage in that kind of head-to-head sort of a thing. Yeah. As a spectator, you know... I try to tell people I don't fault the athlete for trying to win, but I also don't know that I want to pay to see this live if I was just a regular fan. So it is it is a very difficult thing in there. I know we mentioned Cody there, but is there anybody else that you feel like who has drawn that out of you? Because I know from watching from this side, but is there somebody that you've just been geeked out to like have that kind of a match that you said like, man, I respect how they move and they made me move better. Yeah. Uh, during a match, uh, n- I can't say that I've had a match where I'm like, "Oh shit!" Like that was that was crazy. Well, me and Gabler, I met Almeida. We competed a long mm-hmm. time ago when I was like a purple belt or brown belt, and that was a that was a war. Like we had a crazy standing grab battle, and we we're passing and sweeping each other constantly and that was a rough match i got done after and i was just i felt like shit (laughs) i was like damn that boy's strong you know because he's i think he's like 185 190 and i'm i'm i walk around like 170 to 175 max so like dealing with those heavier boys is always like a little more of a hassle i'm like oh that was rough (laughs) well that's good to know like i said i just mentioned that when I see somebody like you, to me, anybody who has more movement than me, I go, wow, they've got really good movement, which is essentially everybody. But I am curious whenever you do see those people, because I don't know as an athlete like yourself, who brings that best out of you? Is there somebody that you feel maybe in the future that a style matches up similar to yours where you're like, oh, I do wonder how we would go against each other. They've got something that I respect that I'd like to see uh, them pull out of me and me pull out of them. Yeah. Um, so when I look at the, I'm pretty sure it's a 77 kg division is what I'm looking at. That's what I was looking at for trials. Uh, I was super excited to do that. And well, it's canceled now, or it's moved now, but I was actually, I was excited to see all the athletes there. But when I look at the 77 kg division, there's like, there's guys that impress me, obviously like, uh, the kid, the Rotolu kid, uh, his movement's really good. His pin passing, his ability to find submissions. I think that match would be really fun. I just need to find a way to get that match. Um, Henato, his movement is ridiculous, but he's one of my main training partners, and I wouldn't compete against him unless we absolutely had to in the tournament or something. Like, we both made it to the finals, but that's my boy. Um, his movement's ridiculous, and... Uh, he inspires me. Gary Tonin, his movement is really good. But obviously those guys are all super high level, so I need to get make my way up there. As far as the guys who are like coming up, I can't really find a match where I'm like, uh, he excites me. Yeah, I, I figured that does have to be troubling, and so I just was putting it out there because sometimes you do see somebody like that. And I know for sure you and uh, Canuto – had that going on because he would be mentioning you when he and I would chat. 
And uh, he was like, oh, yeah. He's like, dude, his movement's awesome. So I always think that's one of the highest degrees of respect when you have somebody like him who I've had the opportunity to roll with, and it was not enjoyable. Granted, I love him. Yeah. It was just I've never felt like somebody just – literally it was it felt like somebody was elbow dropping me 15 times <laughs> and i was just like i can't stop it and then afterwards he famously you know i brought him on the show and i was like hey man you know i don't know if you remember but we rolled he's like i remember you and i go oh fuck yeah okay and he goes yeah dude he goes you just you had this really hard guard to break you know when when i was in mount i just couldn't do anything with you and it frustrated me and I was like, yeah, but Canuto, like, bro, you were ahead like a million and 20 points. And he's like, but I didn't submit you. And I go, I, I, I didn't enjoy it. I don't know what to tell you. I would put you ahead in every regard. And he was just like looking at me and he goes, yeah, no, it's fine. It's fine, Raph. And I'm thinking to myself, the next time I train with this guy, he's going to murk me. Like, it's going to be the worst. So uh, I've never seen such a nice uh, differentiation between nice guy who's a friend and also just monster savage movement between uh so I can only imagine your guys' sessions. He's so competitive, bro. Like he's so funny because like we'll have we'll have a round, like a crazy round, and like maybe we don't tap each other. And like he's like, uh, let's go again one more. And I'm like, I'm dead, and I'm like, yeah, bro, I guess. And then we get that again, and he's like, Well, you one more, you down to go again? And I'm like, bro, leave me alone, bro. Go get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, he did that with me too. So yeah, I, I know what that is. And he's that's so, why I think he gets so bad. But the thing is, is like, yeah. you know, as a re- reporter or interviewer, I just know that he's somebody who, anytime I've reached out to him, he's like, man, I'll do your interview. No problem. Let's make time for you. He just goes above and beyond out of his way. It's yeah. just like, when you get the opportunity to roll with him, you're just like, it's hard to explain to people like what you see on TV maybe one or two big savage movement moments when you train with him and he's trying out new shit. Sometimes it's stuff that you don't even see on TV. Yeah, for sure. Uh, That guy's so good, man. People, it's hard because he's had like only high level matches lately, like the highest level, but that guy's so good. And I can't wait for him to uh, just get to the top again. He's, he's good, man. I fucking, I love that cat. I don't worry about him. Yeah. Life is going to treat him just fine. Yeah, and you sure. know what the nice part is? He's also going to be one of those guys who I like to tell people once they make it to master's levels that the whole master's division was created to get away from some of these young savages. But what happens when JT Torres becomes a master? Lovato's yeah. a master. I go, no, go away. No one yeah. wants you here. So the last thing I think is, you know, these poor people who are going to turn 30 at some point, he's still probably going to be able to do some random-ass flip shit that you go, listen, dude. Oh, yes. Keep this away from me. Stop (laughs) it. We all get that you can do 90 somersaults. We're just not impressed. Uh, Anyway, let's get into a little bit of your backstory, man. So where does martial arts find its way in your life? So it's pretty easy. My dad, uh, he he was... A fighter coming up he uh he fought some guys he i think he turned professional he fought like trevor pangley and stuff he had some tough fights but ultimately he was kind of he pushed me into that he didn't push me into it he actually didn't want me to fight or do anything 
but he taught me it at a young age and it was just in my head like all the time like i knew from a very young age like this is what i was going to be doing at some point and then uh i wrestled in high school on my own like he really didn't support it or anything but i wrestled in high school and then two years or about two years after high school i was probably about 20 i started jiu-jitsu and started this journey so let's get a little recap on that you were two years after high school so you're about 20 how old are you now I turned 28 in March. So 28 in March. So that means you've been training for about eight years. Okay. So that's coming out of high school. What was the adaptation of changing your base from a little bit more wrestling heavy, even though you had your dad who could kind of teach you those things that would probably involve some jujitsu. How was that transition into going into a little bit more of jujitsu style? Um, the transition was, so I wrestled in high school, like seriously, probably only one year, which was my sophomore year, junior year and senior year. I was more of a, I kind of, I was more of a wild kid. I just wanted to be a kid, you know, and be nuts. But so, although I wrestled, I wasn't, you couldn't call me like a wrestler, so, but anyways, I joined jujitsu and I thought it was super boring because it was start on the ground and there was only, it was a very small class and the first two guys I rolled with were tiny and they beat me up and that's why I was kind of like, oh, this is, this is pretty cool. But then I still didn't take it seriously for like a year, maybe like I was still didn't like jujitsu for a little bit. I would only go if my friend went <laughs> When you say your friend would go with you to it, what were they saying to you to get you to come back? Because obviously you're willing to almost, when you say something like that, you almost say, if you don't go, I'm not going to go, which is almost your way of saying, I don't really want to go. So what are they saying to you that brings you into the class? Uh, so... It's, I would strike at the time every day. My dad was the coach at the gym. He was the striking coach, and I would strike every day. Like, I love striking. And uh, I just never wanted to do jiu-jitsu, but he was, every once in a while, he'd be like, bro, let's just go, let's just go. And I'm like, uh, all right, I'll do it, and we would go. So I'd maybe go, like, once or twice a week here and there and just pretty much hate it the whole time. And <laughs> But eventually I got to love it, you know? Do you know why you started to love it? Do you have a certain memory or a kind of a, a feeling of when you fell in love with jiu-jitsu? I started to love it when I had my first MMA fight and I randomly got a submission. And then I was like, oh, well, this is pretty cool. I was able to submit somebody and they made them quit. And I didn't have to like strike them for massive amount of rounds. And then after that, I got my blue belt. And once I got my blue belt, I started uh, doing tournaments more. And I was like, oh, this is pretty fun, like, just to do on the side. And I started having fun with it. And I was already doing, like, flying triangles. And I got, like, four flying triangles one time at a tournament one day. And I was having fun with it. So I started just to understand that it was a way to showcase my talent. 
so I started like liking it more uh, once I got into the competition side of it as opposed to just doing classes. That makes sense. And especially when it becomes, I mean, honestly, as somebody who's a spectator watching what you're doing, there is a lot more of a pronounced nature of the art of it. Like what it looks like you're doing when you're competing, it looks like that is your form of expression, your art, what you're doing. So that movement becomes an extension of who you are as a person. Now that happens for a lot of people, but not everybody expresses themselves to the extent that you get to do it. And I think that's part of the reason why what you do in terms of what we civilians may call as movement is just you saying like, yeah, dude, I'm just doing what feels right. So that's what happens when some of us perform, some of us draw, some of us write, some of those creative fields of the brain. So that's kind of where you get to do that. Because to me, I look at it and I go, yeah, I'm not doing any of that. But where I do share a similarity on the Venn diagram is you mentioned in your first fight, when you realized you're like, damn, dude, I didn't even have to really even kill this guy. I just kind of like got him to be like, I don't want to do this anymore. And for me on my side is I always like this idea of like when I'm doing jujitsu, right. It should almost feel like nothing is going to happen to you that you aren't going to die from, but that you kind of have to understand like, yeah, dude, I didn't utilize too much to kill you, but I can. And I feel like that's always that nice little area of jujitsu and what it affords. Cause you know, people always go up to you and they're like, could you beat up everybody in the room? And I'm like, eh, you know, why, why am I going to do that? I have no reason to do it. I was like, if they want to train with me, I'm sure I'll beat them up. But yeah, no, I'm not coming into this bar to be like, yo, I got these five guys I could take out right now. It's like, this is so <laughs> Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so having said that though, now that your dad kind of sees that you become your own man, you've got your own kind of fight career and your jiu-jitsu career, has he become more of an asset in terms of helping to guide you, especially when at first he was just showing you kind of how to be fit, how to know how to maybe defend yourself, how to be aware of this kind of skill set that he has. What does he say now about what he's seen you blossom into? Um. He's always, like, supportive. He's always sending me messages and stuff. He's a quiet man. He's much like uh, me, in a way. He keeps to himself and doesn't really speak out about too much. But, um, you know, he supports me, and he's super happy. And, I mean, I, I could tell, you know, he the way he talks and the way he expresses himself when he's around me is, I could tell he's he loves it. But, obviously, he's not, like, messaging me all the time, every single time i'm doing something but yeah he he loves it and uh it's cool because you know he's always super proud of me that i got to where i am and you know it's cool that is pretty cool yeah my dad has no idea about any of this so he's always just like i don't know what any of this is but i generally support you so good job and i go thanks dad that means a lot but i would tell you on your side you have a dad who understands the difficulty of this sport and how draining and how completely uh, bashing and saying it could be. So the fact that you are, are thriving in it must be uh, quite an impressive thing to at least have that commonality to talk about here and there about it. Yeah, for sure. He's super appreciative of uh, Casey too. Like at first he was skeptical, skeptical about me moving away and getting a new coach and, you know, but uh, yeah, he's super appreciative of Casey taking care of me out here now. I mean, the hard part is you got to meet Casey. They're very. I don't know too many people who do not like Casey. He's 
really good to his guys. He's a stand-up individual. Uh, you know, I famously tell this story about Casey all the time, which is he saw me once when I was in town on his Instagram stories and I was visiting another gym and he sent me a note and he's like, why the fuck aren't you at my gym? And I was like, I don't invite myself places. I normally just wait and see who's going to invite me. I was like, I just happen to be in Vegas. And he's like, I was offended that you didn't come here yet. <laughs> yeah. And I just thought, what kind of madman sends me a note like that? And uh, I, I always kid him around with that. So now every time, you know, I'm in Vegas, he's always like, are you fucking coming here? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll be at your 6 a.m. class. I'm not going to see you, but I'll see your kids. I'll tell you how they're doing on like a secret shopper basis. But shut up, Casey. So I just, it takes a certain kind of human being to rally and to motivate young men who have many different personality traits many different hangups and to rally them together and to go out and compete as a cohesive unit. So I've always been very impressed with how he's been able to conduct himself as a, a leader and a gym owner. Yeah, for sure. So what have you liked about living in Vegas? Like, what does it feel like to live there now? Have you gotten used to it? Um, is it still, I mean, obviously you come from a different area where it was also hot, but do you get any kind of uh, acclimation to, the crazy that is Las Vegas. Um, so my life is pretty simple. Like I literally wake up, train, go home, study jujitsu, study fighting, play video games, <laughs> think of ideas on how I can make myself better. I rest, I eat, then I go teach the whole night. And then I, do it again every single day so i typically don't indulge in what vegas offers um you know i don't i'm i'm a pretty boring creature <laughs> i don't vegas well, is cool but it's, it just seems like i'm training at a gym and i live here but it's still here's a what hot I would, desert to me you know <laughs> here's what i would tell you about that if you're truly looking to succeed at a certain field you tend not to do the other excess stuff uh in general you know John Jones is kind of this weird exception that he can do whatever he wants and, you know, cocaine it yeah. up for five out rounds and be like, man, that's impressive. Yeah, Good for, for him. Sure. But uh, you did mention that you like to play some video games. What video games are you playing? What What, what is your game of choice? Uh, I'm all about Warzone right now. It's the only game I play, actually. I don't want to say video games. I play Warzone right now. Um, if I'm on more on my nerdy side, I'll be playing like World of Warcraft or Skyrim or something like that. Interesting. This is this is fascinating to get an idea. Are you just as competitive on video games as you are on the mats? Oh yes, I uh, I got Warzone and I was playing on the console and the PC guys kept killing me, so I was like, I got to go drop like three thousand dollars on a PC now. And I went and got the PC, and now I'm trying to climb the rankings and beat those kids up, too. <laughs> okay, listen, dude, I know I'm pretty competitive, but it's very rare I'm going to drop three Gs just to, like, just show off on I'm some uh, video games. But I understand. <laughs> <laughs> so are you playing with anybody that you train with? Uh, Sometimes. I, I play with a bunch of people. Um, I play with, like, my best friends mainly. They're, like, my main squad. 
but I also play with like a few cats from you know around social media, like uh, the UFC guys and stuff like that. That's pretty nice. Yeah, that's Jesus, man. That's a that's a thing. I think in the future, I don't know where or when. I think we may put together a tournament with uh, BJJ or MMA folks who are within our communities. So, would you be interested in being uh, considered for that if we ever put one of those things together? A tournament. Yeah, if we were to put together some kind of video game based tournament. Oh yeah, I like I like that your head was like, wait, where are we competing? What what's the weight? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm in man. Any kind of competition, whatever. If we're gonna go golf, if we're gonna go skydive, if whatever you want to do, we're, we're doing it. <laughs> I don't know how you compete skydiving, but I'm all the more terrified from the <laughs> idea that you have an idea as to how you can. Yeah, I don't know that. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what it is? We see you as an athlete that gets out there, and I think there's an inherent adrenaline junkiness that comes along with it. So you mentioned that you forsake all those other dumb things uh, that Vegas has to offer, but you get your adrenaline from competing, and that's part of the reason why I think that you're able to be so entertaining and, and find your creative outlet like that. So I appreciate that, man. Well, we're going to start round and third here, but I want to ask, man, you know, how have you been able to train, you know, in the past few months? It's been crazy. I know y'all are open, but did you have to do anything during the past few months when Corona first hit to get around your training schedule or to maybe supplement some of the things that you would normally do? Uh, so when Corona first happened, I took like two weeks off, like two weeks, two solid weeks off. And then I was like, I can't do this. So I got a whole lot of mats and I filled up my whole garage and I grabbed like 10 to 15 guys. And I said, come to my house and we would bust like three hour sessions every day. (laughs) Wow. Three hour sessions. Full wrestling in the garage, full scraps. I feel like. Me and oh, me and Hanato have like battle in our living, and uh, we broke over our wall. My wall. Hold up, hold up, hold up. You you were in and out on that one, so I need to understand something. You and Canuto were rolling so intensely, or wrestling so intensely. I think we did break up, so we might need to do something real quick in a second. There you go. I think you're back. Yeah, yeah, I'm back. Sorry. Okay. I got bits and pieces of that, so I need to go back to the beginning. You were training, you had about 10 or 15 guys, and you mentioned that you would go all the way out. And then, can you fill me in on the story that you were telling once you had guys who were competitively rolling there? Yeah, so first I had the mat set up in my living room, and then we broke our wall. Me and Hanato would have full-on battles in the living room. <laughs> and then eventually moved it to the garage once there was a hole in the wall. Um, yeah, and then it got better. But we were having full, full on sessions, like in the living room and in the garage. It was crazy. <laughs> Has the wall been repaired? Yes, it was repaired. Okay, well, that, that's repaired, something good. And then to it got. It was repaired, and then it got hit again after another battle, and then it got repaired again. 
<laughs> I yeah, mean, man. I like I like the fact that you offset some of the competitive nature to Canuto, but as we mentioned earlier, it does take two people to be that competitive to drive a hole in a wall, man. Yeah. Um, um, especially the kind of people. You- <laughs> Here's what I want to ask you. Obviously, you mentioned that you got uh, no future super fights. Would you be interested on in going back on the Submission Underground card that they just announced is going to be in late December? Yeah, that'd be awesome if I can get on that card. Um, I want I want to get on all the cards, man. I want to I want to keep climbing. I want to keep climbing, you know. And it sucks because I I failed. Well, not failed. I I lost against Cody Steele, and I see him competing against the best guys in the world like every weekend. And I want to be doing the same, you know. I want to be getting invited everywhere to compete, and I just want to battle all the humans. I enjoy that. I'm glad that you you've designated to just humans because I wasn't sure if you were going to be competitive enough. We're going to be like, hey, that robot too, if it can move. That room has got some uh, crossing me the wrong way. I'm going to take it out. I would tell you this, man. Uh, if anybody is not putting you on a card, here's my little implore to them. I would say you would do well to put Andy on your shows. Not only do you get a high yield on a return for his matches, I'm talking flips per minute. I'm talking crazy movement. I'm talking sick competition vibes. But what's more important about watching him compete is that if you give him a game partner, he wants to put on a show, win or lose. And I think those are the people who are usually high on my return call list. So if you're not putting them on here on any of your shows, you might ask yourself, are you contributing to worse jujitsu? That's all. Yeah. That's, that's my, my whole little appeal to you guys who are promoters. And some of you watch this, and some of you will uh, hopefully take that challenge seriously. Because here's the thing, dude. You got a guy here who wants to battle the top of the echelon. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's commendable. I like people who call for their shot, man. Yeah, for sure. And, of course, I understand that I got to earn it. You know, you just don't get that right away. So, like, whatever I got to do, whoever hears this, just... Let me know. Just tell me where to go. We'll find out. That's what's up. All right, man. So can I uh, give you a second to go and give any shout outs to any sponsors, anybody you want to give thanks to who helped you get to where you needed to get the win over the weekend? Um, yeah. Uh, thanks to my sponsors, Phalanx, Caveman Coffee, E4. Um, super thankful for them always. I appreciate my training partners who help me grind daily. Um, and of course, Ten Planet. Thanks for all your help. But yeah, man, I don't, I don't really have too many sponsors or stuff I need to give a shout out to. And my people know I'm super appreciative of them. I tell them every day. That's what's up, man. Well, I very much thank you for your time, man. Hopefully, when things cool down and I make my way back on over to Vegas, I will get to run into you. And I will. I don't know. I'm going to say I'm going to train with you. Normally, I promise people I'll train with you. You're different. I might just kind of casually say like, hey, listen, you want to do a warm-up roll, which to you uh, might feel like nothing, but to me might feel like 100% rolling with you in your movement. So I will definitely look forward to running into you in Vegas sooner than later, sir. Yeah, man, I appreciate you taking the time to interview me. I think it's super cool, and I look forward to meeting you one day, sir. Absolutely, man. My thanks to Andy Varela for making some time to chat with us. Now we're going to move and keep this whole little train going 
Uh, checking in with our good friend, Senor Geo Freakazoid Martinez. So when you start off a third season, you always want to, you know, bring out some of your A-listers, your big guns, and obviously you want to bring out people who mean something to this show. Not only has this gentleman been on the show, but he had a spectacular performance against one Paulo Miao over the weekend. This was their third encounter, and uh, I got to tell you, man, it's always exciting when you see him get back on the scene. And one thing that was of note in this particular case was... They made a, a mention of saying this has been a year since we've seen him compete on a major tournament, Matt. And uh, I got to tell you, man, things are a little bit quieter when you don't have one Gio Freakazoid Martinez competing. But we're lucky to have him here today. Ladies and gentlemen, Gio Martinez, everybody. What's up, everyone? Hey, bud. So, man, what did that feel like to be told, hey, you haven't competed in a year? Did that crossed your mind or do you even care about that sort of a thing? Not really, because I'm always training the same, you know what I mean? I'm always at the gym, putting in work every day, pretty much, training with my team. Like, I have a lot of solid beasts around me that it feels like a competition night every night. You know, every night I feel like I'm going to war, and, um, you know, I don't ever have an easy training session. So, for me, it was like, I didn't really feel like I took any time off. I just felt like I haven't put myself out there on, you know, on the stage where other people could watch me compete or whatnot, but I'm competing every day at the gym with my teammates. Yeah, and I mean, you, you mentioned so many of those names in your post-fight interview with Hal, but just to give an idea of, like, that kind of performance, when he's saying, you know, it didn't look like you had taken any time off, it's because you were giving a spectacular match. The same could be said for Paulo. Paulo also had a year off as well. Uh, so that was kind of an interesting thing to see, like, you guys. I know I took a couple months off of COVID, and uh, I did not look exactly like myself. So credit to you guys for putting it out there and being uh, quite as good. I do want to ask, when did they pitch this match to you? They they told me like two months ago, pretty much. Two months ago, they asked me if I wanted the match versus Paulo. And uh, right away, I said, yeah, let's do it. You know, because obviously I've been itching to go out there and compete and, you know, get some good battles against some high-level competitors, people I don't get to train with often, uh, someone that the caliber as, like, Follow me out. You know, once that opportunity came, I just said yes right away, which was about two months ago before the match. That's pretty cool, man. Was it weird to see? Were you recently noted as the twelfth, or were you you were somewhere down on that bottom fifteen? What did it feel like to see a list with your name not where I would assume it should be? I feel like you know that that's what happens when you don't compete and put yourself out there and. I guess I haven't got into, like, you know, any of the events that were going on. I just didn't really try really hard to be in those events because I just, you know, I only really want to compete with people that get me excited right now, like big names and guys that are fun to compete against, people maybe that I competed against and maybe lost to before by points or something. So I get it. You know, it's just like they want to keep it going. They want to keep it active, the act active list. And I just wasn't too active. But when it comes down to, like, skill base most of those guys already beat or i know i could beat and most of them you know they probably know i could beat them too and and i feel like um but it, it it was my fault you know for not putting myself out there as much and not getting out there and competing at that level and putting myself in flow grappling events you know because it is their their um you know who their top list or whatever so i have to just be more um and better communication with those guys and have um more battles in their events so I could keep proving myself. But I knew once I got out there and I 
had a big match that I was just gonna go back to the top because I've always been around three to like seven around there. And this is the lowest I've been in a while uh, when I, I was like twelve or thirteen. You're right, and um, and it didn't upset me too much, but you know something like. And back of my head was like, oh man, like these fools think you're falling off. Like they think you're not the same, or they think your your best years are past you already, which is the opposite. I feel like my best years are yet to come. I just laugh because you know you don't talk trash. You're not that guy, but you are very much a like, oh motherfuckers forgot. I'll have to remind you guys, kind of a, a personality. So to me, I just thought. You know, I, I could never tell if that motivates you because I, I deal with so many of these athletes who say, hey, listen, look at their rankings. It's really, really important. And I go, they're relative. Like, it's nice. It's a fun game. You can create an event out of it. But if you really follow jujitsu, you tend to know where people really should align, whether they've been active or not. So to me, I just think it's an exciting idea to have all of you chasing to be that number one spot. So we talked a little bit about your your happiness to get this third match. I, I was curious because you've faced Paulo twice before. What felt different this time? You know, I just switched up my guard a little bit. Like, it, the only time he's ever beat me was by a few points, by like two points or something like that. I think one of the events was like I jumped on a leg and he came on top and ended up getting two points on me. And then, like, at ADCC, which was, like, three years ago, or maybe even four years ago, he ended up, like, kind of passing my guard, and then I recovered my guard, and I just felt, um, I was a little tired, I was a little winded, and the guard I was playing was kind of something he's more familiar with, which is, like, reverse De La Hiva. so he had a really good um, attack on my guard and put a lot of pressure on it and tired me out, but I felt like when I was playing, I just switched my guard around a little bit and really been working on my cardio just to make sure I don't get tired and, you know, be able to keep a 15-minute battle going and just keep, you know, because I attack a lot. So I feel like people that attack a lot tend to waste their energy faster. So I just try to make sure that I was attacking a lot, but I just had better cardio this time around. So no matter what, like, I just won't get tired. I feel if I don't get tired in a tournament or in a battle, I'm going to be really hard to beat, you know, and it just comes down to, like, my style. I'm just really aggressive. I'm always moving forward. I'm always going for a submission and always fishing for something. And sometimes when um, I don't, you know, get get it going right away, I, I work really hard for it and that could drain me. And especially when it's early on in the match. And that's what happened the first match. I just went for a couple leg attempts really early and it just kind of drained me a little bit. I kind of used too much energy. And this time around, I just made sure my cardio was on point and I was ready to go all 15 minutes with without stopping. And I think that was a big change, just my cardio and, and the, the way I approached my guard. I, I played a lot of sit-down guard instead of playing reverse De La Hiva. I noticed that, and I, I was very appreciative of the adjustments that you were able to make. They looked, you know, again, they want to mention the year layoff, but I think the bigger component here wasn't the year layoff. It was just first event after COVID for you to be competing on which is more indicative of your want to have that cardio at tip chop shape. And normally you can get a feeder, you get a little bit of an idea, but I just feel like so many people who are competitive right now have just been trying to balance, Hey, mm -hmm. how do I compete in this environment right now right. after going through that little bit of layoff? Right. And it's a, 
you know, you kind of question yourself, like, am I ready cardio-wise and stuff? So I always tell my guys and my teammates and my students that, you know, you got to get those hard battles at the gym. You got to put yourself through hell in the gym. So when you go out there and compete, it's like, it's not, it's not like something you're surprised about, you know, like, you know how hard it's going to be. So if you have crazy battles at the gym, which we had, we've been having 15-minute rounds, 10-minute round battles, 8-minute rounds every day for the last two months. So I've, I've been putting myself out there and then, and I, you know, we have like a couple of gyms open over here. Like I just go after I train two sessions a day, I'll go do cardio by myself and just kind of make sure that I'm pushing myself to the limit that I, I feel tired when I get home. And I'm just like, all I want to do is sleep, you know, this last two months. I'm just like, I just want to, I have to train. I just want to come home and take a nap. And um, that's really what I have been focusing on a lot of cardio and just making sure that I, every day I got home, I'm really freaking tired. And, you know, I really didn't do nothing for the last two months. I just played video games, trained hard, and, and did a lot of cardio. Did it feel good to have a new motivator? Because, again, we'll, we'll get a little bit into the, the, the COVID a little bit later. But I, I was curious, you know, so many of these athletes have been looking for that opportunity to compete. And there are a ton of really great opportunities for everybody. So did it feel nice to have that kind of new goal to be working toward? Yeah, yeah, it's always, uh, you know, it always feels good when you have something lined up, something that gets you excited, you know, gives you a little bit extra motivation. It's hard uh, to always stay motivated, you know, it's hard to always be pumped up and stuff if you're not going out there and, you know, battling and putting yourself out there to the world because you don't have that pressure, you know, when you sign up for these tournaments and these events, like, you don't want to go out there and embarrass yourself, I don't want to go out there and lose, especially me, I'm super competitive. I don't want to go out there and just be, you know, make a fool of myself. I want to go out there and represent my team. And my team's always, you know, they have a lot of respect for me and, and they expect a lot from me, just like as much as I expect a lot from myself. So it gives me that extra motivation when I'm at the gym that I have something I'm training for. I have an event coming up that has to, you know, I have to perform. I have to go out there and deliver. And if I don't, I'm not going to be happy with myself. So if I want to be happy the next couple months or next couple weeks, I got to make sure I get myself ready to go to this event and and deliver. So that's just that extra motivation, that extra fire burning. But I always feel this way. I always feel that I want to do good. And I always feel that I want to go out there and perform well. But when there isn't events, I'm not going to lie. Like, you don't get the same motivation. You know, you slack off a little bit. You're like, oh, I could hang out and drink a hard kombucha and it's all right. You know, whatever. But when I'm training and stuff, I'm just like, oh, focus mode. I got to eat good. I got to train good. I got to take care of my body. I got to be smart about whatever I do. And you remind yourself that there's some things that are more important coming up than just kind of, you know, doing stuff that's not going to benefit you or whatever. So I have that extra motivation when there's events and this was motivation and it, it did make me kind of focus and just kind of take my game to that next level. Can we talk about the lack of crowd? Because, you are a performer who really does exciting stuff. And I know that between your breakdancing and your jujitsu, you're a person who can get crowds riled up. Was it different not to have the crowd there? Mm. Yeah, definitely. Like, you know, I, I feed off people's energy, but also like people's energy drains me as well, you know? So there's like the plus side of it. And there's like the negative side of having a crowd, like, I love to perform and, and put on a good show and, 
you know, feed off the energy and feed energy back to the people. Like, that feels good, and I love that, you know. But also sometimes, like, just having people, like, come up to you, talk to you, and just kind of, you know, want to say what's up, which is something that I appreciate and I like. But when there's a tournament going on or, like, a big battle going on, you have all these things going on in your head, you know, you kind of develop, like, semi-anxiety, which everyone has, like, you know, performance anxiety. Like, you want to go out there and perform and be good, and especially if you're very competitive competitive you're always you know focusing on the match and it's sometimes like being around certain people they want to talk to you and kind of drain your energy a little bit and I feel like this time around I didn't really have to do any of that I just kind of focus on the event and focus on myself the other people that were around me were other athletes and they were all in their own zone doing their own thing so it's easier for me to get in the zone you know do what I do but <clears throat> You know, when you win, obviously, having the crowd around feels better. You know, just having people around, and afterwards, it feels good. People are like, yeah, you know, like, you're pumped up. You may go have some food with your teammates and your friends, and people coming up to you be like, oh, man, that was awesome performance. Little kids, they want you to sign their babies, and, you know, we're, I'm just, you know, like, things like that always feel good, obviously. Uh, you know, like, sign something for someone and be like, hey, take a picture here, you know, do that stuff. It, it feels good. You know, because you're feeding off that energy and you're giving back that energy. But, like I said, after the match, before the match, it feels good not to have anybody around. Just to stay hyper-focused into the event. I have told people famously, because sometimes they'll be like, oh, why don't you go say hi to them? And I go, I don't want to bug them right now. They know I'm here. If they want to come talk to me, they'll talk to me. Because I've... I have such an appreciation for what you guys do and every athlete is different in their mentality. Some people are just like, Oh, Hey, always come say hi to me. And I go, sure. And then you go say hi to them and they're in a different zone. And I go, listen, dude, I don't need to do this. If I get a chance to see you, that's great. If not, I usually send a message of some sort afterwards, but right. I just want you guys to be in your own space. It is very rare that I will see you in an event and won't talk to you, but it's usually after all that shit's gone down because I usually say, you know what? Don't get in their way. And it is hard for people to understand that because sometimes they only get a few seconds to see you. So they want to have that interaction when you're kind of like, right. cool, bud. Um, I'm trying to be here. So I don't want to be a dick. Uh, I'm not that. It's hard. Like that's the battle. You know, you don't want to be a dick, yeah. but in your head, you're like, uh, like you're, you're, you know, you're going to be nice about it. I'm not going to like tell someone to fuck off, even though, you know, I remember coming up and like, I'm not saying any names. I remember going out to some guys, be like, "Hey, good luck, man!" And they just looked at me like, "Get the fuck away from me!" You know? And I was like, "Damn, like, why is this guy being like that?" But now I get it. It's like, you know, you want to get in the zone. I think it's probably a good thing that I don't compete because then you would see probably the not great side of me. Everybody's very used to the nice and friendly side, but like when I play sports or even when I'm doing jujitsu, I'm quiet, man. Like. I'm not telling jokes. I'm not trying to make it about me. And people are always like, you're different. And I go, yeah, because I'm just trying to take it seriously. I'm trying to be respectful of their time. It's not time for me when everybody like says one, two, three, break. Like, oh, do a joke. It's like, no, no, dude, this is their time, your time. Uh, you know, yeah, I'm going to be a little bit different. So I, I'm very glad that that is the case. And it's important people know that just because, you know, it is what it is. Let me ask this. What were you most pleased about? in your performance over the weekend? Because you did mention the sit-down guard, and it did look great. Obviously, you tried to attack the legs. Whenever you hit a toehold on a Meow Brother, I swear to God, I just look at it, and I go, that would kill most of us. 
but like their feet are so rubber that it's usually just I'm thinking, yeah, it's got to be a setup to maybe trying to get him to react to do something else. Because Geo knows at this point, he's like, man, I really want the submission, but Jesus, look at them. Yeah, it's hard to leg lock them, you know, for sure. I just want to attack and just at least put it out there. And even though they they won't tap, they don't like it. It doesn't feel good. They don't want to go home feeling sore and stuff. You know, no matter what, I, I can feel the tension and the tightness in there when I lock things up. But I know it's going to be hard to tap them out, but it just makes them, you know, think about it for sure. And I, I guess I was more, uh, I was happy that, you know, I kept, I kept sweep, sweeping them whenever I want, even though, Sanji didn't really give me credit for anything. Oh, he's just jumping to his back. Like, the Meow brothers are not like that. They don't like to get swept. You know what I mean? They're always thinking IPJJ. They're always thinking points. So, I felt like Sanji kept saying they kept falling to their back. But no, trust me, I was sweeping them. And I was going for specific sweeps. And they were fighting it. And I was, I was executing my sweeps. Uh, I was happy with that. And I was happy that, um, that I couldn't, uh, that they didn't pass my guard. Or he didn't pass my guard. I don't know why I talk about them like one person, you know, I was only competing, or I talk about them like, like I was competing against both of them, but I was happy that Paulo didn't pass my guard, that, that felt really good, that I could sweep him whenever, and he couldn't pass my guard, because, you know, like ADCC do have points and stuff, and I want to, I want to make sure I can sweep those guys, and I want to make sure they can't pass my guard. I will say, if there's anybody who I ever think would pull kind of like, you know, there's a famous wrestling episode of SmackDown where Kurt Angle's fighting, I think, The Undertaker, and he has a twin brother, and the twin brother runs out. I was like, I feel they could do that. I probably would forget who's who. True. And to me, that's always made me very fearful. So when you say, yeah, I feel like I'm talking about them in tandem, you're not, everybody does. I think even they probably look at each other like, which one am I again? I don't remember. <laughs> so uh, I just know that I was stoked to see it presented i was happy to see the match i thought that you guys really went out there to both try and kill each other and that's about as much as you can ever hope for two competitors to go out there and do and i have to say man just from a cathartic reason i thought it was not only impressive that you were able to avenge uh lost with him but also kind of like show us what you're working on next and i think that's always really fun to watch with you i think so many of us are intrigued when there is that time of way where it's like, well, he's not doing nothing. So what is he working on? And getting those those moments to kind of see that live is always very, very fun and, and entertaining. So I'm, I'm always I'm ha- trying to improve, you know. I'm yeah. always trying to improve, and I feel like I, I haven't reached my peak yet. I, I definitely got into the game a little later in my life, you know. I started jiu-jitsu when I was 24 years old, you know. I'm 33 years old now. So, you know, I was like 23, 24. So I've been training for about 11 years, you know. 10 and 11 years and I feel all these guys been in the game for like 15 plus years you know longer than I have already not everybody but a lot of these guys have supposedly I'm barely at the level that you get your black belt you know 10 years like that's when people barely like traditionally people get their black belts after 10 years for the most part if they're putting in work I guess I, I don't know the proper you know time to get your black belt but I know I, I got I got in the game pretty fast and a lot of people forget that, you know, I'm still, I still feel like I'm growing. I still feel like I'm evolving. I still feel like I'm, I'm getting more experience every time I go out there and compete. And I always been the kind of guy that adapts very well to people. You know, when I compete with someone, uh, I'm definitely a sponge absorbing their energy and, and their style and just kind of figuring them out and learning off of them in many different ways, good and bad, you know, sometimes 
I learned the hard way, but I'm learning every time I get on the mats and compete against these guys. So even though I had some losses against these dudes, I'm going to get better and I'm going to take that loss and I'm going to twist it up and make it a W, you know, because that's what I'm going for. That's what I want. And I feel like my body, my mind, it's only getting better. I still I still could do shit with my body that normal people will never be able to do. And I still feel strong when I'm at the gym. I'm still doing, you know, crazy stuff or, you know, the stuff I do. And people are like, man, like, you know, how do you do that? There's kids that are like 21-year-old buff guys and stuff. They still can't do what I'm doing, you know. What I mean, like, they're still their body's not capable of doing the stuff that I develop. So I know my body's ready. My technique's even better than it's ever been, and my mind's just getting stronger every every month, every day. Actually, you know, I'm just every other event I go to, my mind is stronger, and I feel that that has a lot to do with it, like the way you think and the way you approach these kind of events. Yeah, I mean, if you could do 15% less of that on your stories, you make the rest of us feel a little less bad about ourselves. Because I see you doing some of like this like really cool looking shit where you it's almost like a plyo exercise one day, then the next day it's just isolation. And I just think to myself like, yeah, that's that's awesome, man. Meanwhile, uh, you know, those of us during COVID were looking around. I was like, yo, if I get up from the couch to... Uh, the other side of the room. That's going to be a win for today. So I just appreciate the fact that, yeah, man, you got to keep holding it down. And I think that's pretty good. Now, I know we mentioned this earlier, which is that, yeah, you were somewhere near the bottom of the 15 of that list, but nothing is more revealing to me than when you automatically shoot up to number two. It says to me, not only is it an acknowledgement of your work that you did this past weekend, but also maybe that some of these rankings are uh, fragile. So to me, I think that's got to be a good feeling for you. Um, obviously, there's uh, other challenges ahead. So what do you think is the next challenge? You know, like you said, like these rankings are a little fragile. And like, you're right about that. Like, I feel like also these rankings are very like deceiving as well, you know. And, you know, not only that, they mess with a lot of athletes heads you know like they mess with our heads like they they bring us up bring us down bring us up bring us down kind of to control like how bad we want it you know and and like i like it in a way you know it, it, it gives everybody a, a a goal you know you're like i want to be number one i want to be the guy on that list when it comes out and put number one everyone's like yay my coach is number one my friend is number one and that feels good to get that little shine right there you know what i mean that appreciation from Probably one of the biggest organizations for sure, like Flow Grappling, you know, they're doing everything right now. So to to get that acknowledgement from them, it feels good and it kind of controls athletes, like the way we think, the way we we approach the scene. You know, we want to be more active. We don't want to be in the bottom of the list and have uh, Joe Schmo be in front of you. You're like, dude, I'm way better than this guy right here. I mean, but no one, the world doesn't know that because I'm in the bottom of the list and you know, maybe, like, people forgot about you, you know, like, you start thinking about negative thoughts come to your head, but mm -hmm. then you really think about it, you're like, that doesn't define who I am, it doesn't define much, it's just me going out there and proving myself when I have to, that's what really matters, but there's other guys, like, you know, like, there's a funny thing on my page, on, on my Instagram page, I, I posted, I was like, oh, according to Flow Grappling, I'm ranked number two now, right, and, um, uh, you know, Tranquino, you know, Augusto Mendes, which was currently ranked number one, got taken off the list. 
And, like, the reason he got taken off the list, from what I heard, is that he was moving up weight class. That he doesn't want to do 145 anymore. He's too big. He can't do 145. Or maybe he doesn't want to do 145. I didn't really get the, you know, exact details. But that's what they told me. And also with, like, Nicky Ryan and the Rutulu brothers. Like, they all, all these guys moved up weight class. Like, they're getting bigger. They, they want to move up weight. They don't want to do 66 anymore. So... There's only a few people, you know, they're active, they're putting in work, and they're in that next level. And I was one of the guys that's in that list. And, like, you know, went on my page and it's like, had, like, that little emoji with the guy, like, you know, the the, the smiley face is, like, thinking about it or whatever. Like, hmm, you know, wondering why I'm not on the page. And then I, I put, I was like, I told him what I just told you guys that, you know, from what I heard, he's not in it because he moved up weight class. And his response was, that he wanted to create a different bracket, I think like a 160-something 160 pounds, mm-hmm. whatever, and he wanted that to be uh, the next bracket they created, but he's like, they don't want to do it or whatever. I forgot what it was. It was a weird bracket that he wants to do. He's like, they didn't want to do it. I just said I wanted to do some matches in this category. I never said I was going to move out up or anything like that. And um, he's like, who cares? Uh, this list doesn't mean shit, you know? <laughs> kind of like that that was his response to it but it was kind of weird because like he's responding to it obviously you know there's some kind of it, like i said pull some it pulls some strings in you so he responded to that and um when i was told him hey i would be glad to take the match against you anytime you know the, I, I competed against him my first adcc and i lost to him but i was very like new very you know like fresh to the game i i got a lot better nowadays and I, i'm a lot more experienced and i consider myself a vet in the game and I would love to compete against him anytime, any day, any rules fit. I'm ready. I always been. And, you know, I told him that. And he's like, all right, we're going to have a match. Maybe the next who's number one. But from what I heard from the promoters of Flow and who's number one, my next match is going to be against Kennedy. You know, and it's probably going to be at, in December 12th from what I heard. You know, that's like the offer they gave me. I said, yeah, let's do it. And I think he said, yeah, he wants to do it. But I think they're going to finalize the contracts. And if that goes through, then we'll be battling for that number one spot. And if someone has something to say, then they come and compete against us too. Because the more the merrier. I want more matches. I want good matches. And I, I'm i down to battle any of these guys because I, I feel I could beat all these guys. And I just want to prove it out there. You know, I want to put it out there to the world instead of just talking about it. I want to beat these dudes and be like, hey, I'm the best right now. I'm the best at this time, and ADCC comes, I'm, I want to go there and smack everybody too, you know what I mean? But obviously, these rule sets are a little different from ADCC. Mm-hmm. What I like about these rule sets is, like, they're just going to judge who's going for it, who's, who's you know, who's doing the most work, who who's overall competing the best, who's overall, you know, getting the better results of the match, the better end of the match, and... I like that because I don't have to think about points too much. I don't have to play the technical game of trying to score points or not score points, stall out and not stall out. I just get to freestyle and flow the way I flow all the time. So either way, if it's ADCC, if it's who's number one, these next couple months I'm going uh, to try to smack all these guys and show them who's the best. I have no issue with that. I mean, that's a pretty fair and and like sportsman like call out which is i just want to be number 1 i don't see the issue with that i think the hard part is 
and I've had to tell this to a number of athletes myself where I just go, do you really feel like you're not this person? Like it's, it's inherent within a marketing trick and it's not a necessarily bad one because it can put on an event, but I've heard guys being like, flow disrespects me. And I was like, dude, I don't know what to tell you. They're making a list. You get a win. They're going to try and prove it differently. It's all subjective. So just go do you and don't worry about that and let them do that because maybe some good can come of it, but don't let the bad happen to you mentally because that's when you don't get to prove that you are that best person. I mean, dude, listen, I'm, I'm a coach. I used to do all these sorts of things to motivate my kids back in speech where I'd be like, Hey, who wants to do this? And nobody would volunteer. And I'm like, if you don't do this, then you don't win. And then everybody would like come up and show up and they'd be just trying to prove that they should win or get the best slot. And they'd be fighting for their slots. And my friends would look at me. They're like, how'd you do that? I was like, you got to play to their competitive nature. You got to know that sometimes that's how you bring the best out of people. Now, granted, what I would have to monitor is that they didn't use that to dislike each other and be like, no, 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 no. You guys keep it healthy. There's nothing wrong with fighting for your spot and showing that you're the best. But I'm not here to really do that sort of shit. So I have, I have a good fun at their nature every time I see that. I'll put it to you this way, Gio. Yeah. So you can kind of understand from my perspective. If they made a list of the best podcasts from Flo's ranking and I was number 10, I wouldn't be bothered one way or another. You know why? Right. Because I'd be like, prove it. <laughs> like one of you idiots try and do what I do and then right. let's see who really is the best host. So I've, I've learned that about that. <laughs> one thing that I do like about it though, uh, um, from my perspective is, you know, a lot of high level competitors get lazy and they get comfortable. You know, they went to an event, they're like, Oh, I'm the best. Like, and we're like, well, like you said, prove it, like put yourself out there and put yourself in a match and compete, keep competing or else you're going to fade away. You know what I mean? Like, we, we want to prove it. That's ultimately what I want to do. I want to compete out there and I want to prove it. I don't want to talk about it and I don't want it to be by rankings without me going out there and being active. So I don't, I didn't mind when I fell off the list when I fell down because I was like, you know what? I'm not too active. Like, I'm not doing shit right now. Like, whatever. Like, it doesn't really define that you're officially the best or the worst in the world, whatever. You know, it doesn't really do that, but it keeps you motivated to stay active for all these lazy, competitors that win one time or have a good match or a good month and then suddenly they disappear from the face of the earth and you're like what happened to that guy and then that guy's still claiming he's the best in the world you're like dude you gotta keep proving yourself you gotta keep battling you gotta go out there until you're done you know you can retire one day you can be like yo i'm not gonna compete no more i'm gonna focus more on coaching and building up my team and my academy and making money for a family or whatnot but I'm not trying to say I'm the best in that. I'm trying to say I'm the best competitor right now in my division. And that's what I want to prove. So how do you do that? You compete against each other. All right? So people avoiding matches, maybe they're not going to be happy if they go down in rankings. So that might give them a little more motivation to go out there and test themselves and try to fight for that spot. I'll tell you this much. Uh, I think that just shows the difference between me and you. You want to go out there to continuously prove. If I won a championship, I would take that shit home and I wouldn't compete again. I'd be like, I'm undefeated. Y'all can't touch this now. This is the belt. I, I quit for life. <laughs> like, like when your brother beats you in something, he's like, I, I don't want to do it no more. I don't want to play no more. You're like, dude, you only beat me once. Like in a video game. You're like, no, I'm done. I quit. Come on, play me one more time. No, no. Uh, I'm the champion. Uh, I'm done. Locked himself in a room. I'm knocking at his door. Fuck you, dude. Let's go. Let's play. It happened to me all the time. My brother, 
he'll beat me in something, and then he's like, I quit. I'm like, dude, you'll bear- this is the only time you ever beat me. You know, or like, I- I've probably done that to him a few times as well. So that's like a little brother trick or something, you know? Oh, but I-, I get it. And it, 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 it. sometimes I, you know, I could have, I guess I could have been like, oh, I won EBI. I'm done. You know, I- I'm a submission only guy. I won already. Like, I don't have to do anything, but I look at those trophies. I look at those old videos and you get tired of looking at the past, you know, and I want to look at new videos. I want to get new medals and I want to do new stuff till I can anymore. We've talked about this a couple of times with different guests, but I remember like one of the most clairvoyant days in my life was, you know, my parents used to keep all my trophies, like for everything. I played sports. I did everything. And they would have all these trophies in my room. So anytime I'd go home, they would still be up there. And one of my friends one day came up to me and they're like, why do you still have those? And I was like, I don't they put them there. I was like, they like them. I don't really care. They're like, do you really care? And I go, no. And they go, you should get rid of them. And I was like, why? And they go, cause you're done with that. And I was like, that's fair. So then I got there. I was like, well, I'm keeping the national titles cause those right. are nice, but I'll get rid of all these other ones that are from like regionals or districts or, you know, kind of like these state tournaments. And I got rid of them all. And I just said, you know what? It was so nice to cathartic to get rid of it because I want to look to whatever the next thing is. And from there, I just realized I would never live there. I would continue going to pursue something better and something new. And I think it's kind of exhilarating to do that sort of a thing. So I understand that. I don't want to be like Al Bundy talking about my high school years. (laughs) You know what I mean? That's what I always think about. Like, all right, Al Bundy, like back in the day, I was a Heisman, whatever. You know what I mean? Like, my high school years and blah, blah. It's like, I'm not that guy. Like, I'm still active right now. I'm still beast mode. I'm still getting better every time. But, like, I don't want to be El Bundy, you know? That's not my goal right now. And maybe one day I'll be talking to my kids and my students and stuff about the past and stuff like that. But there's more I want to accomplish as well. And I don't want people to think that I'm, like, washed out kind of yeah. guy. You know, like, my old hits or something, like, like you know, musicians, like, they get they get remembered for like a one hit wonder or something. They're like still talking about that one hit wonder. It's like it's cool. That's a good accomplishment. A lot of people probably will never get to do that. But is that all you're gonna do for the rest of your life? Is that gonna be your story? You know what else you gonna add to your story? And I feel I have a lot more to add to my stories. I live for these big moments, these big matches that people always talk about and ask me about. You know, like these matches that I had along my years of training and competing. People are like, oh, remember this match when you did that? Man, on YouTube, you can see it, and people get excited and stuff. I want more of that, you know. And, you know, you're, like, I hate this saying because it's not true, but um, I think about it all the time. Like, you're only as good as your last match. You know what I mean? So it's like, I don't want to be, I, I don't want to have, like, a bad last performance and just kind of, like, be like, oh, I'm done. You know, like, I want to I wanna go out with a bang. Everybody does. Mm-hmm. You know, like, there's a lot of champions that get knocked down, knock out, and they're never the same again, you know. They try to get back in the game, and they're never the same. Of course, their legacy is always going to be there, but it's like, you know, when like if you're still active, still going, you want to win. You want to do good. You want to be well, you know, and, and I want to perform well, and I want to keep accomplishing things. And like I said, one day I can sit back and be like, you know, I did what I could. I, I made it this far. I did this much already. I accomplished this or whatnot because that's what people look at you in martial arts, like your credentials. Mm-hmm. What have you done? You know, and like... And I feel people are always judging me, like, who have you, like, what have you done? What have you, you know, and if I want to do this for the rest of my life and be my, my livelihood, I want to have some good things to back me up, you know, and I always think about my legacy and, and martial arts and jiu-jitsu and, like, even though I accomplished some shit, some people think I haven't done shit in the game, you know, 
some people still look at me like, oh, what have you done? You haven't won no IBJJ or ADCC yet. Even though I won the trials or whatever, they're like, you know, that's not good enough for people. So I got to, in a way, it's like I challenge myself just like everyone else is, you know, questioning me and challenging me. I do that to myself all the time, you know. I'm not satisfied. I, I want more. I'm hungry still. I'm hungry like a wolf, you know what I mean? Like I'm still, there's so much more for me to do. And, and if not, I want to at least try it's a well-lived life to continue trying, so that's why it's better to do it. The journey is always the fun part. Even the parts that suck, you'll probably... Uh, you're good. I think the video just turned off for a split second, my friend. I'll give you a moment there. We just had you. There we go. Yeah, I, I, I think that most people who would probably try to address you... I, I would assume most of those people who said you haven't accomplished anything are from an internet comment section because I've never seen anybody talk to you like that in front of your face. I have a, I have a problem. I, I read too much internet stuff, you know? I, I read every comment everyone ever left of me. And I, I just, I, I really do. And I'm like, why am I reading all this shit? And like, it doesn't mean much, but it, it like, it motivates me in a weird way. Like, I love shit talkers. I want, I love proving people wrong. You know what I mean? I love... I love just proving it all wrong and be like, look, motherfucker, like I, I, I'm, I'm, I'll go back and comment on a, a post from like four years ago and be like, well, you said I was never gonna beat this guy. Well, you said the school was these guys are better than me. What happened? And I just like I'm that pity sometimes, and it's sad, but whatever. It's not that sad. I mean, listen, dude, when I do commentary and I do that, you know, you obviously have people who love you and that's the majority of people, but I read comments because I want to be better at my craft. So if they have something that they usually can provide me, that's insight. I love that marketing and that Intel, but I've had people who I think one time I was doing the BJJ fanatics one and they were literally sending me a note and they were like, I love Gordon, but I hate this other guy who's right next to him. I was like, Oh, Okay, well, cool. I mean, you should know that Gordon likes me doing commentary, so... Okay, cool. I looked that guy up a little bit later, and he just kept talking about me, talking about talking about me. And then I looked down at his profile, and on his profile, it's just him with selfies with all these big BJJ stars. And I thought to myself, oh, you're a groupie. Oh, yeah, no, you're showing up just for the big star because that's what you want. You don't understand what I do. So I really can't get mad at somebody who has their metaphorical dick in their mouth and that they're just doing that. Now, granted, I read my stuff and I know that there's going to be a certain point if I continue to progress where I'm going to go, we're good here. Because for me, it's always about much like you. You don't assume you're the best at your craft. You assume that the pursuit of it is really more important. So reading those comments is like, okay, I just want to be aware. Let's, let's get to that goal. So I would laugh if I were to you, but man, I can well, I laugh. Too. I love it. Like, it's funny to me, you know, in a sense too. Like, and I'm just like, whatever, like people are trolls out there and I've been a troll in my life, I'm sure before. And <laughs> it's all, it's all part of the society we live in. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. We all got the rights to troll anybody that does things better than us. Why not? You know what I mean? Like a lot of these people like will never be able to do what I do, but they could tell me I, I'll never know how to wrestle and I'm a fucking guard puller and, I'm just going to stall out against Paolo Meow. We're just going to pull guard and, and battle on our asses. And all these weird things people say are some <laughs> Brazilian gi guys that said that I'll never beat Paolo Meow because I never wore the gi. And that's all right, man. Like, that's cool. Like, like I always tell everybody, it's like, if you really 
really believe my jiu-jitsu is not good. Like, my gym is open for any challenges, any time. Like, I'm all about the challenge. I'll let you train for free at my gym just to roll with me. You know what I mean? Like, come through and challenge me. Like, and I have heard people wanted to challenge me, but I never had anybody really test me. I had a black belt come through a long time ago, and um, he, he was a... Uh, he was like a, a black belt from the Bay Area. He actually became a good friend of mine, but he wanted just to see if I was the real deal. And um, he came to roll with me, and he became a good friend of mine because he respected me right after. And then we had a good relationship, and he followed me around, went to a lot of seminars, and, you know, became a homie, but respected my jiu-jitsu. And that's what I always tell everybody, like, come and train with me. Come and roll with me. I'll earn my respect from you if I don't, if you don't respect me yet, like, but for the most part, these people are not even in the level I'm in. And I acknowledge that. But, you know, I, um, it still hurts when you say I can't wrestle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure you really go back crying every night about it. Um, hey, I did want to ask this, man, because I've been trying to do a checkup on all of our friends and making sure everything's good. But I was curious, during your interview, you mentioned that you were going through a little bit of depression and anxiety with COVID. I'm assuming that's because you didn't get to do the art that you love so much. So how have you felt since getting back to training? You know, I've been feeling really good. Um, like, i always been a really confident, really positive guy because I always appreciate what I have in my life. I came up from not too much, you know, and whenever I earned whatever I earned, I, I've been really happy with my life and really grateful and stuff. And, you know, like I live a good life. I'm lucky to have, you know, this life that I live in. But for some reason, I have no clue what triggered it. Like I just, something triggered something. And, and I just felt one day I just like, like I, I couldn't, I wasn't myself. I just didn't feel like I was myself. And I was like, obviously we weren't training and stuff. We were doing like all these weird things were happening like with the gym and, you know, that definitely brought a lot of stress to me because I, I, at one point, like, the first month, I wasn't sure what the hell was going to happen. And I just, something triggered. And and I was, like, surprised because I'm not going to lie. Like, I never really believed in anxiety and stuff like that. I always thought, I was like, that's all in your head. Like, you're creating that yourself. And maybe I was creating it myself. And and I just, I, I still can't figure out what it was. You know, it was just, like, it lasted for about a month or two. And it was really hard for me to live like at that moment, like I was just like waking up, like with anxiety, going to sleep with anxiety. Even when I was going to practice, it started feeling better. But like only when I was in practice, after practice, I would go home and just feel like shit, like mentally. And like I, I, it was hard. It's still hard to explain for me. And it was something that I hope it never comes back. But I, I experienced like hard anxiety attacks that was like really draining. And and at one point, I was like, man, how am I going to be able to compete with this feeling? How am I going to be able to do anything in life with this feeling that I have right now? And I, I wouldn't say it was depression because I wasn't necessarily depressed. I felt it was more anxiety attacks and just weird um, mood swings that I was getting. Like, I was just getting really, like, I couldn't watch TV. I couldn't listen to music. I couldn't enjoy the things that I enjoy usually. And it was making me... It was, it was making me unhappy, you know, like, cause I was like, like, is this going to be me forever? Like, like I, you know, I like to smoke and I couldn't even smoke. Like I, I couldn't do anything. I was like, man, like, like what's happening to me? And, you know, I started talking to people, my friends and my family, and I started expressing myself to everybody. And I felt people were just like kind of going through similar things. A lot of my friends, a lot of my family members and just talking to people about it made me feel better, you know, just letting people know how I felt instead of just holding everything in and bottling everything. 
I feel like just like talking about it, like putting it out there to the world, allow me to feel better about myself, but allow me to kind of get to the core of the problem, which was, you know, I felt like I was just hiding too much, like feelings. I was trying to be too strong, too brave. I was trying to be that person that's always like, doesn't have any problems, you know, and, and there's things in life that are going to happen that you can't really control and you got to accept the way they make you feel. If they don't make you feel unhappy, then, you know, like be honest to yourself. Don't hide it because I feel like it's eventually going to come out and it's going to come out and it's going to explode on you. And I feel like always trying to be brave and be Superman and be like, oh, nothing's wrong. And, you know, keep that mask on now at, at the gym and be like confident in front of everybody and be this black belt that people look up to was draining me and you know once i start opening up to people even my class even my teammates they start talking about how i was feeling and stuff and i was like yo this is how i feel like honestly this is how i feel and some people were like surprised but mostly everybody was like supportive and people talked to me came up to me and like hey i felt this way about this and that and you know just admitting to myself that like you know i'm not perfect and there's things that i gotta focus on and there's things that i gotta improve on in my life and and I gotta, I gotta just like make sure that I'm taking care of myself instead of always taking care of everybody and trying to make everyone feel better. I gotta make sure that I take care of this, you know. And I started telling myself that I am in control. You know, I'm in control of my mind. I'm in control of my reality. I'm in control of my world. And just walking, taking walks with my dog, and just hanging out at you know the park, the beach, and stuff, and being in nature and expressing myself to people made me feel better and out of nowhere two months like comes or whatever boom one day i woke up and i was like i feel better like i really feel better and like i haven't had any day that i felt that way and i told my girlfriend i feel better and she's like we just keep that energy you know (laughs) and i just kept that energy and it's been a couple months like maybe like four months five months now maybe four months and um and i just haven't felt that no more I, i haven't felt any anxiety i haven't felt any problems but I've been talking to a lot of my teammates and friends and still helping them out and talking to them about their problems and stuff and just making me feel like, a, like you know, I felt like myself again. I remember that's the one thing I was talking about. Like, I don't feel like myself. That was, like, the scariest part. Like, I wasn't who I am. I wasn't me. And I was like, man, like, it, it, it scares me that I, I'm not myself. Like, what the fuck is wrong with me? And, like I said, just, like, just talking about it and just, like, just taking care of myself and just being honest to myself allow me to to realize that you know we're all fragile creatures if we don't take care of ourselves you know if we don't take care of our minds and the way we feel like we're fragile and we we can break any moment and if you break and you don't try to rebuild yourself you might never be able to find yourself again luckily i've been able to find myself and realize that i am in control of myself and and i just been making me feel good and i've been appreciating life and that's why after i made that post i'm like i'm happy i won I got my hand raised, but I'm more happy that I get to, you know, uh, I'm more happy to be able to do what I love. And, you know, you don't don't be afraid to enjoy the moment. You know, these moments, like, might not last forever. So, like, the good moments, the good times in your life, like, you got to appreciate them. You got to enjoy them because they can be taken away like that. And, like, I got that reality reality check. Like, you know, I, I, I got, like, I got everything taken away from me. I don't know why or who or how, what triggered it. I really can't say if it was the coronavirus and all this stuff that triggered it, but it happened to me and it's real. And I never look at anxiety and panic attacks like ever the same again. Like I have so much more respect for it. And 
and it's like it's for real and and i i i got mad respect for anybody that's dealing with it and it has been through like depression anxiety or panic attacks or anything like that i have a whole different look outlook on it and i have a lot of respect because it takes a lot of courage and it takes a lot of you and not everybody could do it you know and for people that could live their life and still function and still do what they do even though they're dealing with all these issues it's like man like, that's that's mad respectful i got a lot of respect for those people and i'm just happy that i could express myself and i have good people around me that supported me and were there for me because i don't know it was really hard thank you for sharing that man and i think it's so hard for people to understand who maybe have not experienced anxiety i'm pretty sure in the past seven months most people who haven't may have felt it appear suddenly but it's not something that you're prepared for it's just something that from my understanding of it and experience is that it sneaks up on you when you feel everything is perfectly normal and then suddenly it does not become normal. And then you start to think, is this what it's going to feel like for a long time? And there are ways you can conquer it. There are ways that you can beat it and there are ways that you can manage it, but it's different for everybody. So as somebody who understands that realm and then all of a sudden we got coronavirus and all I could think of was, you know, I have a microphone. I have a little bit of extra ability to reach people, but honestly, I'm going to have my biggest support to my immediate group. And I think that you opening that up to your school, let people know, like, I'm feeling this too. And I probably now feel a little bit more relief that I'm not the only one. So as a result of that, those bonds probably become stronger and you guys appreciate every day you get to train with each other all that much more. So I, I feel like it was probably as hard as it was to do, not only the right thing to do, but one that will have a long-term impact for you and those people who experienced it in that point. I agree on that 100%. You know what I mean? Like it definitely brought me closer to a lot of my students and my family. And, and, um, and I got to, you know, relate with people. We get to be humans, you know, like jujitsu is a, I always tell this to everybody, like jujitsu is like a big part of my life, but it's not my life. You know what I mean? Like my life is, is beyond jujitsu. And if you can't, live your life and just focus on jujitsu only then it's like that's gonna be hard it's gonna catch up on you so you gotta always remember who you are and you gotta remember your core and you have to be real to yourself like that's why i don't play no games being like a fake persona you know in the jujitsu community i don't try to be that person and like tell everybody that i know everything and that i'm right and i can fuck everybody up and blah 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 because it's gonna catch up to you i know it will you know and 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 if you, like, the more you negative you put out there, like, the more negative you're going to get back. You know what I mean? And the more positive you put out there, the more positive you're going to get back. So, you know, like, for these people that try to front and they try to be, you know, super hard all the time and they, they know everything and they, they want to be the best and, the, you know, the, the number one almighty, like, that's a lot of pressure to put on yourself because one day, like, you're going to have a hard day and um, I hope people are there for you because, you know, you're going to need it. It's going to be hard to do it on your own. And I realized that in time, you know, time humbles you, you know, and, and I've been humbled many times, but, you know, I constantly keep getting humbled and, and I'm constantly learning. And of course, I'm always going to be confident. I'm always going to be trying to fight for what I want and stuff like that. But I'm going to do it the way I do it, my way. I'm going to be real to everybody. I'm going to be real to myself, you know, because, if you lie to everybody, that's cool. But once you start lying to yourself, it's like 
you know, like you can't lie to yourself. It's going to catch up. You're going to call yourself out eventually. And you're going to really, it's going to hurt. You know what I mean? When you really see the truth. So you got to be able to look in the mirror every day and be happy with yourself and, and be real with yourself. And that's really what it comes down to. Just be real to yourself and be real to people around you. Cause you're going to need that one day. Trust me. Absolutely, man. And you know, it's so funny. You, you can almost see the story and how it ends for certain people just in terms of like, you don't see it today, you might not see it in a week, but sometimes something happens that you're just not prepared for. And uh, I would always say this, uh, in response to your, you know, positive vibes bring positive vibes back. I think I learned something very quickly, which was, okay, listen, not everybody's going to love me or my show, but if I put a certain kind of positive vibe out there, the people who follow my show are going to be way higher premium human beings because they're going to align with me so that when I meet them, it's not like, oh, fuck this fan. It's going to be like, I'm excited to meet you. I, it, you listen to our show. You see this. You like us. We vibe in a certain way. And that's great. Because sometimes when you have shitty fans, sometimes they're shitty people and you have to look at them and be like, yeah, I'm not a fan of that, dude. That sucks, man. Don't be mean to people like that. So, you know, it's it's a good status i think to put out there but i want to also thank you real quick as we start to round third look at this not only did you come to do the interview today but your background over here is the perfect sort of lighting setup that i don't have to do anything for some of the athletes i interview are literally in the dark or have phones that somehow look that they're giving me a connection from 2004 here we have pristine lighting that is the trademark green that we get to see from you and your vibe so i very much appreciate you going the extra mile to make sure the lighting is impeccable sir hey thank you you know like uh i get it Shay. like i i i want to you know stream video games and stuff like that so this is just in my room my game room and i just um i have it to me and my girl have this room that we just kind of have like a little art vibe room you know that we come in here and express ourselves i play video games she does her she's a painter a really good painter and artist and she does her art here and, you know, I, I, I've been spinning music and playing music in here and just kind of like the vibe and stuff. So, um, you know, it's just, it, it's a good room for me to vibe in, you know, and, and uh, this is the, this is the kind of environment I want to be in. So if I do an interview, I want to feel good vibes and like, you know, just promote how I feel. Like you said, this is, you know, like this is me right here. Like, I'm just like, I, I feel I feel this energy here, you know, and I want you guys to feel a little bit of the energy that I feel. I just also want to let you know that sometimes when I put you on the solo like this, it does look a little trippy in the background. And I'm like, yo, it's almost got that magic I feel with that backdrop, man. So every once in a while, I want to be like, is that some sort of, does he have a weird like Zoom background that I didn't know was going on here, man? Because like sometimes <laughs> it just, uh, it, it trips my eyesight a little bit. But anyway, Geo, man. It's been great catching up with you, dude. I mention this every time. You know, we have these big markers. You came for a 300th Verbal Tap episode. But for season three, I wanted to have somebody who uh, meant something to us on the show and has always been super great. And you fit the description. But not only that, man, it's just I see what's going on with everybody with COVID. I see how everybody's reacted toward it. And I understand it is one of the most difficult things to navigate. Nobody knows how to do this perfectly because we're just going through it. But I appreciate very up at the top, you and your brother were very good about trying to serve your students. I saw that there was like holds on accounts, all those sorts of things that you guys were trying to do that other gyms weren't doing at that time. And I just thought, even if we don't know what's happening, 
those things still matter to the rest of us who observe and want all these gyms to come through and survive. So on behalf of, I'm sure your students, but a lot of people who saw that, I just want to thank you, your brother, your whole team for uh, providing that place where people could know that they can come back to and have came back to uh, after it was all said and done, man. Yeah, we're, we're, we're super grateful for our students, you know, like if it, like, I know it's cliche to say, but if it's not for our, our students and our, you know, support, like from all of them, it's like, we're nothing really. We're just jujitsu athletes, you know, I want to be more than that. I want to, you know, we have a brand, the 10 Planet Freaks, you know, and, and we need people to support us for us to do what we love to do and that to be able to teach and share our jujitsu knowledge and, share the environment with everyone that's interested in joining us, you know, and, and build, being part of our family. So, you know, 10 Planet San Diego, 10 Planet Spring Valley, of course, my school, 10 Planet Oceanside, 10 Planet Poway with Kevin. All these schools are, you know, they're part of our family, part of our um, 10 Planet Freak brand. And um, you guys are ever in San Diego, like, come through, come in, feel the vibe, you know, because a lot of people talk about it, but we're about it. We're really about it. You know, we live this lifestyle. We we love it. We, you know, we want to share it with everybody. So, you know, we appreciate everyone that supported us, our students, everybody. And of course, the, you know, we, we got to eat, we got to survive, we got to make money and do all that. But at the end of the day, we're going to, we're going to figure it out either way. We don't really need too much to be happy. And the rest just pays itself off. And I think just being a good person to people. And like I said earlier, being real to people comes back to you in many different ways. And it has to me already. And my brother, too, I know he appreciates it and all the other coaches. And, you know, we're just grateful to be able to live this life. And I'm never going to take that for granted. And if anytime I have the opportunity to be fair and honest to my students, I'm going to do it. You know what I mean? I'm not going to hesitate to do it because I'm not going to be able to live with myself if I, if I try to, you know, like rip them off or whatever. That's not what we're about. And I know a lot of people talk about that. But like I said, we're about it for reals. That's what's up, man. Right. Well, again, congratulations to you on a big win. I want to give you the floor once again just to say if you got any shout-outs that you want to give to your team, all the people who helped get you ready for this weekend, or any sponsors you want to give a nice little little shout-out to, sir. Yeah, like, of course I want to give a shout-out to, you know, my all my teammates, you know, on 10 Planet Oceanside, all my teammates in 10 Planet, Spring Valley, Poway, and San Diego, my big brother, Boogeyman Martinez, is always, like, my, you know, he's my coach, my friend, my teammate, my brother, you know, and, and I always appreciate him being there. You know, um, I appreciate Bravo for, you know, opening up the doors in the first place and allowing me to embrace this lifestyle and showing me the way and still being there for me, coaching me, beating me up when he has to beat me up and doing all these things that uh, keep me going, keep me hungry, keep me motivated and keep me inspired. You know, I'm inspired by my teammates, everybody. Um, you know, I got a, a truck DVD coming out, you know, this truck DVD just has a lot of my truck secrets and my, my truck, um, you know, my favorite things to do in the truck. And this, this, uh, game has influenced me and allowed me to excel in the jiu-jitsu community. And I just, I've been really working on this for the last 10 years, really of, of developing this style. And it's cool to put the part one, put it out there to the world and hopefully people could enjoy it and. Hopefully everyone goes checks it checks it out on PJJ Fanatics, and um, yeah, my sponsor Phalanx, and um, you know, um, just everybody that's around me, CBD, um, me, you, or you, me, <laughs> and um, you know, just everybody that that's been out there and 
and supporting 10 Planet Freaks. Thank you guys. Appreciate everybody. Come through. 10 Planet Oceanside. I'm there every day. You guys are next on my hit list. I didn't get a chance to make it out there, but I did go to your brother's place and I did go to Spring Valley the last time I was out there last year. But uh, you are you are next. I am going to find a time to get out there sooner you than that. You said it. I'm going to tell Kyle Chambers. He'll be waiting for you. I know, dude. I'm trying not to <laughs> roll. And like, he's always so nice and being like, you should come down. I'm just like, no, no, still a terrible idea. Like, I just don't know what to do with you. And normally I'm a good, at least strategist, if nothing else. But I'm like, listen, dude, your body type sucks for a person like me. Well, Matt Joe and Ricky, right? He's small. He's a small guy. Ricky Lule. All right. Well, I guess I'm going to pull guard and just have to deal with that. <laughs> but no, obviously, I will. I will train with anybody and everybody. I just, I have such appreciation for the team that you guys have cultivated. Obviously, shout out Keith Kikorian, one of the extended. Right, he's got his black belt, you know. Our little Great. brother Keith. He's a he's a little monster. He's also on the rise. He's in the rankings too, and yep. he barely got his black belt yesterday. So. Man, that kid got uh, the future ahead of him. His mind is in the right place. His, uh, you know, his game is a super high level technical, and he'll go out there and deliver. He he knows how to perform, which is like the hardest part of you to to be able to do what you do at the gym all the time on in competition. Absolutely. Well, can't say enough good things, sir. I appreciate you and your time. Thank you again. We will see you, I'm sure, sooner than later, Van. But, ladies and gentlemen, Jim Martinez. Okay. Okay. Do not go anywhere. We had an excellent interview with Gio Martinez. My thanks to him. Truly one of the best friends of uh, the show that we could ever have wished for. Dude's always made time for us. I cannot tell you how much we appreciate him. I really, really liked his honesty in all of that interview in terms of not only his competitive drive, what it feels like to look at those rankings, but also to go through a little bit of anxiety and, and share that with the students and Continue trying to put out a very positive message out to the jiu-jitsu community. Because we know it's easy to kind of mess with the jiu-jitsu community in that respect. All right. Our final interview today is another Submission Underground standout. I hope that you get to know this gentleman. I think he has a very bright future in front of him. He's an excellent, excellent competitor. You might have seen him not once but twice over at Submission Underground. And I don't suspect this is going to be the last time. Ladies and gentlemen, get to know a little bit better one, Aaron Teagues. Ladies and gentlemen, our next guest is somebody that uh, we've been impressed with a few times here. Uh, first and foremost, you know, watching him on Submission Underground. He had a nice trilogy that was building up. You know, things happen. Uh, opponent switch did happen for this particular juncture, but that didn't make it any less interesting. And one of the things I have to say about this gentleman who we are going to talk to in a second is not only in the submission underground, does he have matches where he's willing to take on any opponent? Not only is he getting ready to go ahead and compete in this week's Pan Ams, which is kind of nice, but he's one of those few participants in submission underground who does both geek, and Nogi. And to us here at the show, we do have a high appreciation for that. So we wanted to get to know him a little bit better and maybe get some inside knowledge on uh, how we should be finishing our bow and arrow chokes. But fresh off a win over at Submission Underground, please welcome to the show for the very first time, young Mr. Aaron Teagues. Aaron, how are you doing, sir? I'm great. How are you? Very well. So I have to ask right up top. Yeah. What does it feel like to have a trilogy that is getting built up only to have that sidelined just a few 
days before the event? It was, I mean, it wasn't like, a, it wasn't a trilogy like Mason Fowler or, or Craig Jones's uh, match, but <clears throat> it, it, was a, it was a little bit frustrating, um, specifically because, you know, <laughs> I've been, I was really, really looking forward to it. And um, yeah, but things happen and hopefully we can, can reschedule it for a later time. But um, I had Pan Ams coming up this Friday anyway. So I, I was kind of, the training didn't really change. If, if it was just that match and that match got canceled and I never got, um, and my, my new opponent, which was Alex Larmy, who, who stepped up and which was really cool for stepping up at such short notice. If he hadn't have, have come in, I would, it would have been super frustrating because I would have done all this training up for nothing, but luckily he stepped in and luckily Pan Ams is right around the corner. So the training kind of wasn't for nothing and it, it kind of worked out. Fair enough. And I guess the idea is, you know, you're saying it's not like a Craig Jones, Mason Fowler. Ah, you know, you were built with a a nice sort of setup from Submission Underground, which shows that they have an appreciation for what you're doing for them. Like, I thought that's pretty yeah. cool that you get a trilogy. Most people get a one and done in Submission Underground. Or you, get, you find some people, like even this weekend when I go, Keith hasn't been on this show yet. And they go, how? <laughs> That doesn't make any sense. That's stupid. But I would say this for you, though. Uh, you compete in the gi, and I have a hard time trying to make people interested in the gi. You know, I've run some tournaments right. where I've I've told the guys, I'm like, listen, I'm trying to give you guys opportunities because I train both. I think there's important aspects of training both. What does it feel like being the only person wearing a gi when you are showing up to an event like this? Do they look at you weird? Do you feel normal? Um because it almost feels more like a primarily no-gi event. Yeah, and I think it, it definitely is. And I, I think the rule set kind of favors no-gi in a way. Um, but for me, I, I I feel like gi and no-gi, they're very similar um, in, in my no-gi and, and gi anyway. They're very similar in the way that I play. Um, and in, a, in a, an event like Submission Underground where you're, invited to the event it's not necessarily like ibjjf tournament where there's you know points involved and all this kind of stuff i feel like the the person's job is to really put on a show so in i think what people get so tired of seeing in the gi and why you know a lot of people that maybe aren't like super into jujitsu and kind of you know the ufc fans that are watching submission underground the, those guys that would kind of be like oh the gi what they're kind of don't want to see is like a lapel guard or 50 50 match where people are just stuck and like, it's just super slow and, and, and not very exciting. And for me, my mindset going into things like submission underground um, is to really try and put on a show and like try and throw as many things out there as possible. Um, and to me, like winning or losing, it doesn't really matter so much. It's more how, how much can I entertain the people that are watching? Because that's really what matters in, in an event like that. I feel like, in like IBJJF tournament or something like that, I feel like there's a little bit more strategy of, you know, play the points game, don't give up points, um, play the advantages, that kind of thing. But because it's not, you know, necessarily a, a giant show that you need to put on. So like, that's kind of my, my set mindset going into it. And kind of that would go with gi and no gi, I feel like. Um, my, my, my game plan is kind of the same of put on the best show as, as I can. 
That's a good mentality. I just, uh, you know, I was, we, I had a thing recently where one of my friends was outside after we were training and we're all having tacos, you know, they brought a taco truck and he was wearing his gi outside. And I thought to myself, dude, you, you kind of stand out here. Yeah. And, and some of your training partners say they could never imagine you without your gi. And yet here you are eating tacos with us in your gi. So I don't know if this is some sort of psychological thing that I probably yeah. am making fun of, but it does stand out. I think, and again, maybe the metaphor isn't 100% apt. I see all of these gentlemen in their wacky no-gi apparel, <coughs> Emil, and then all of a sudden I see you in a gi and I go, well, you stand out like a meal fisher. So uh, I don't know how you did it, Maybe but just putting a on a key. But... You know, it was very sweet. We we do the fight <laughs> companions, and uh, there's a guy who doesn't really know him as well as the rest of us on the panel. And so there's about four of us on the show, and the one guy who doesn't know Emil, I go, you don't know anything about him. He's like, not really. I go, just from looking at his rash guards and his spats, what would you say about him? And he goes... He's a different dude. And I was like, that's a good answer. He's like, yeah, he seems a, a little out there. And I was like, Ugh, even without knowing him, he knows. But anyway, Aaron, <laughs> let's not talk about that. I just like the fact of seeing a rules meeting and you're in the gi and you're excited. But either way, like you mentioned, it yeah. is good practice for Pan Ams because uh, if we're talking, it's hard to get matches as is right now, especially for the gi. It kind of works in your favor because... Have you gotten any other competitions outside of Submission Underground right now? Uh, that was really the first one there. I had, there was a couple that I was training up for um, that would have happened in uh, July or, or September, but those kind of got put on hold. Um, they were a little bit too ambitious, <laughs> trying to like <laughs> have it happen a little bit too too soon, I think. But um, yeah, Submission Underground, they were looking for someone, and it was super lucky that I, I feel like I got in, and then it kind of worked out really well and people are really from what I hear, people are really enjoying the gi matches and like, I'm totally willing to do no gi, but everyone is like, do more gi matches because people love them. So I'm fine with that too. Absolutely. Well, walk us through your match. What does a mentality look like for you going into a match? I know a lot of people like to get into a very uh, competitive mindset, like a day of, and they, they kind of go into their own mental space. This is kind of weird because they kidnap you in the middle of the woods. So <laughs> that's a thing. Then yeah, you have to do sign-ups with everybody, uh, like in a tent wearing a mask. And then somewhere around, you know, the late afternoon, you end up competing. So it's not quite all things considered the same. Uh, what do yeah. you like going into competition, sir? Um. So before, before competition, lately, I'm a psych student. Um, I'm, this is my last term, actually. I'm at Oregon State uh, University. And it's my last term to get my bachelor's in psychology. So psychology has always kind of been my, one of my main interests. And um, so going into it, kind of my mental preparation aside from all the physical stuff is I, I try and do some kind of, you know, a lot of like positive psychology and I look at like guys like Andre Galvao, who, who in their training room, they do certain things that um, to kind of help create almost 
like you, you've already won before the, the thing has already happened. So like, for instance, I, what I've heard from, from Andre and from people that have trained with Andre are that after they do like hard sparring rounds, after every round, they make sure that they, they raise their hands and they, they make sure that they have the mentality that they came out on top at the end of that and um, that they won whatever that matches. And that kind of gets them into this, this cycle of, of kind of this positive outlook on all of your matches. Even if, you know, you felt like you did really bad in that training session, you're still making sure that you're ending in a, in a good position you're, and you're raising your hands. Um, so I, I try and kind of adopt that kind of mentality going in um, in all my training sessions. Um, maybe not necessarily the physical, like raising my hands, pounding my chest, <laughs> yelling pohada, but um, <laughs> but kind of envisioning and, and picturing myself winning all the time. And to me, it doesn't really matter who the opponent is. Um, of course, it's it's always an honor to 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 have different opponents and um, be able to share my jiu-jitsu with them. But to, to me, it's all, it's all kind of a battle with myself. So it's about me conquering my, my own anxiety or my own fears going in and having a really positive outlook of this is the thing that I love doing. This is my passion. And I'm just going to go out there and I'm going to have um, fun and I'm going to showcase my jujitsu the best that I can. And for me, that's been working. <laughs> um, and it's given me the results that I, that I like. So I'm going to try and keep doing that. Okay, that's really cool. I thank you for that that uh, inside process. I know a lot of athletes talk about uh, psychology of athletes, and it's something that I'm interested in because of the mental toughness and the fortitude that you have to have to do this sort of a thing. Yeah, it's very grating on people, and sometimes they almost let the mental games kind of control who they become when they compete. And uh, I do see that within a little bit of what you do. So I have more questions on that. Uh, we'll yeah. get to in a second, but let's stick on for right now. Just talking about uh, the actual match itself. So Alex is obviously your opponent. Are you a Tate person? Are you a go out there and feel it out? I know you did have some time to try and figure out uh, a little bit about your opponent's game, but what does that entail when you have uh, a change of opponent and, and kind of like the game plan or structure for him? Yeah, so I try and get kind of a general idea of, the things that the, my opponent might like or kind of tend to do, um, but I don't. I don't really tend to to really dive into like competition footage and like really try and study what they're doing and debunk what they're doing because. Um, and this is again one of the things that I try and focus on in my matches or when I'm training is really pushing my game forward and trying not to be reactionary to my opponent. So. Um, I think for me anyway, that I do better when my opponent is reacting to me constantly. Um, I don't really like to, to be put behind where I have to have to be on the defense, if that makes sense. So with someone like Alex, I know he has a pretty good leg game and I know um, he does a lot of no gi stuff, but he also, he's also dangerous in the gi. So uh, going in, I, I knew, okay, I'm not going to let him touch my legs. I'm not even going to let him look at my legs. Um, but that was kind of it. I, I didn't want to like look at the positions that he got to and be like, okay, this is how I'm going to defend this position. This is how I'm gonna, it's kind of more like a general, I'm not going to let him get to this spot. I'm going to keep pressure. I'm going to make sure that he doesn't have even time to think about uh, trying to touch my feet. 
um, he, he, he just needs to worry about me passing or, or me pressuring um, to his back or something like that. So for me going in, I, I kind of get a general idea of kind of the, the, my opponent's preferences and then um, kind of use that as a framework to be, how do I generally try and avoid this, but maintain my, my, my pressure and in, in my attacking the whole time? Okay. All right. Dig it. So we're talking about game plan. Now let's go into the actual match. Watch me through the, uh, walk me through the match through your interpretation of what happened. All right. Yeah. So it's, it's still a little bit of a blur. I've watched it, rewatched it a couple times. Wait, <laughs> what do you mean? It's a little bit of a blur. If you've watched it a couple times, <laughs> it still is like, I, I can still, but like putting myself back in this, into this spot, it's hard to fit to like, imagine what I'm thinking during certain situations because I, I feel like so much is kind of instinctual and it's like mm, the okay. things that you've drilled. Um, and that's why, you know, kind of a tangent, but I, that's why I think like the Mendez brothers and um, a lot of the Atos guys, they really like put a lot of focus on drilling and mm-hmm. like reps and reps and reps and reps, which is something that I don't really like to do all that much. I really like to spar and I really like to roll. But um, I think the benefit of all those reps is you build this this neural link and this neural path, these neural pathways that as soon as you, you get this trigger, you're, you're automatically going, you don't even have to, have to think about what you're doing a lot of the time. You're automatically going into like a certain pass or you're going into a certain position. And to me, that's what happens a lot of time when I'm competing is like almost my brain shuts off a little bit. Like I can, I can like kind of see where I want to go, but all the movement is kind of automatic almost. Um, but uh, he, he jumped guard at the very beginning and I tried to, to open that up and pass. But my, my real goal, because I didn't want to really, I was going to try and take him down or have him try and take me down or him ha- have to pull. I didn't want to pull guard necessarily. And I don't really like to pull guard all that much um, unless like I'm getting completely shut down and, and all, on all fronts, maybe I'll pull guard and, and try and work something from there. But I was waiting for him to pull or him to try and initiate something. And then my game plan is really just pass the guard, get to mount, either finish from mount or, or finish from the back. And that's what ended up happening. Okay. Well, I'm glad you have uh, a recollection of it because if you watch it two <laughs> or three times and yeah. uh, you were telling me right now, I don't remember it. I'm like, well, there's a little thing called concussions. I'm going to talk to some <laughs> folks in your psych ward uh, over yeah. at your, your team over in Oregon. I'm going to be like, can we get an evaluation of this man's brain matter right now? Uh, I just want to make sure he's okay. Hey, but that's yeah. pretty impressive though. You mentioned that you were able to uh, get the finish. I did want to ask about this. My bow and arrow is yeah. notoriously terrible. What is the secret okay. to a good bow and arrow finish, sir? It's a good question. Um, it's kind of been my choke lately. Um, I really in the in nogi it's it's rear nakeds all day, and in the gi a lot of times it's, it's either bow and arrow chokes or, or triangle chokes. But lately my triangle has not been as good as I want. I need to kind of tighten it up a little bit. Um, Back in my blue belt and purple belt days, it was a lot better, <laughs> but kind of I've kind of moved on from it a little bit. But I'm going to bring it back. Um, but I think with the with something like the bow choke, I think one of the one of the things that I always try and focus on is getting it set up like immediately. So even before 
as when when somebody starts to expose their back, that's my my focus is not necessarily to take the back. It's always to find that lapel and and get that lapel pass and then start start pressuring the neck right away. Because I think, especially in in points tournaments, but I think in submission underground too, and in submission only uh, scenarios, people are so focused on like stopping the person from getting on the back and like trying to push the the hooks off and trying to stop the person from getting the back control. So I so my my idea is to try and secure the neck first. And if if they really start defending the neck, then I can secure my hooks and, and secure the back and then I can finish the choke. Or if they're still worried about trying to stop the hooks out, I can just finish the choke right there. And I think that's what happened uh in this latest matches as he just exposed his back a little bit, I just jumped on getting that, that lapel hooked and I wasn't able to secure the hooks, but I was able to use just that, that, uh, grip to kind of shove him back to the, to mat and get the bow choke. Um, so that's kind of my idea is trying to secure the neck right away. Um, other than that, you know, try and keep your elbow down <laughs> and hope for the best a lot of time. Hey man, that, that it looked really impressive, and just yeah, explaining to a lot of these because uh, we, you know, we have a nice little. When we, like I mentioned, we have a fight companion. We have some guys who really mostly just do no gi. And when I'm looking yeah. at the bow and arrow choke, I'm just like, yeah, that that's pretty legit. Just explain to them the body mechanic of how they're almost shaping their body in a way that looks hyper uncomfortable, while at the yeah. same time getting a very very uh, solid choke to go along with it is the worst. Do you ever yeah. look at with submission underground? Is there ever a worry with the EBI overtime and that sort of scenario? Because everybody else who does EBI overtime goes, eh, no big deal. When you're in the gi, giving yeah. somebody the, either the option of having that over under as well as being this close to the lapel, is that something that you build into your training a little bit as you get closer to this? Yeah, definitely. Um, for me, I really like the back position. So I feel like I have pretty good back defense because I know how to attack from the back pretty well. Um, and I feel like that's has to do with a lot of positions in, in jujitsu is if you have a really good, uh, if you're really good at passing the guard, you should have, you probably have a pretty good guard as well because you know how, what the, what your opponent needs to do to be able to secure the position. Right. So, um, I know exactly what what people need to to get bow to get the bow choke, for example. So I know exactly the tiny little hole that I'm looking for to escape um, if if, I, if someone's on my back. Um, so I, I think it's definitely something to worry about in the gi. Is the the bow choke is quick and it's there all the time um, and it's hard to avoid. But it's understanding you know the mechanics of the bow choke and being able to to finish the bow choke is what's going to help you figure out how to escape the bow choke. Cause a lot of times people, you can, people will get it secured on you and then you're, you just have to give it, get, get a couple seconds and then you can figure out, okay, there's a little hole right here. I can get my head out and escape. Well, you have a normal size head. I have a large head. <laughs> so my escape takes a little bit a longer than most people. You do, but you're lanky. So, you know, I, I know that sometimes yeah. people look at that neck and go, I really want to get that. Uh, my prize is always, well, his neck is strong because it has to support his giant head. So that, that's kind of been the story of my life. I would ask yeah. you this, though. Do you do anything to commemorate a win, or do they just ship you out of there so fast that you go, 
Well, I guess I'm just going to go home. This was fun, everybody. Thanks. Uh, bye. This is a good time. Uh, they have they have some catering and stuff uh, there, and we get to hang out and talk uh, to whoever stays. Some people, like right after their match, they leave. Um, but I usually try and stick around to watch at least the rest of the matches and then stick around long enough to see Chael and, and thank everyone. But after that, usually it's just dinner and hang out with my girlfriend and or my family and kind of just i'm pretty low-key i don't i don't like to party all that much jujitsu is my party um <laughs> so i already did my party so it's kind of low-key after afterwards i'm going to tell you this right now i don't know if you heard uh what i would consider merchandise but jujitsu is my party sounds like the best t-shirt <laughs> i don't own so if you don't make it i'm just gonna yeah, make all the money off of you <laughs> so I'm just going to tell you to put that out there if you don't have a t-shirt idea going on. That sounds great. What did Chael say to you afterwards? Because you did get a chance to go talk to him, I assume. Yeah. Um, so uh, during the match, Dana White actually texted him and said, give that man an extra 500 bucks, which was really surprising and pretty cool. So I guess Dana was watching uh, from his penthouse somewhere and was watching my match and was impressed with it. So that's pretty awesome. <laughs> um, so I got a check from, from Chael, from Dana White, which was pretty cool. Um, but he was, again, just like the, the last match, he, he was really, really entertained by, by the Gi match. And like, it's one of the things where he was like, I didn't think these would be that, that exciting and that um, cool, but he loved them and was super con congratulatory and he, he just told me like be proud of of what you've just done because it was super entertaining and it was awesome so and i mean chael is super nice in person i know he has this mystique <laughs> ab about him but he's actually super super nice i should, probably shouldn't say that um i but, think <laughs> we've broken kayfabe on chael years yeah. ago I think uh, the reason why it's so entertaining to me, if you look at the natural progression of heels that have come since Chael, is yeah. that the difference is when Chael did it, he did it with a smile and a wink. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, obviously we don't have certain countries who don't like us, but I think even they've waned over time. Yeah. And I think that he put a blueprint that uh, was based off a lot of pro wrestling trash talk yeah. that a lot of people implemented into our sport. And it's changed us in some ways for the better. And, you know, we've got some people who are dumb and don't know how to do it. But at his core, I've heard nothing but very nice, respectable things about Chael. Yeah. I've heard he's the type of guy when he drops in, he always tries to pay the fees. He is stupendous to the athletes. And more importantly to us, he's given opportunities to people like you and other athletes yeah who especially at this time really need an avenue that isn't going to be the same as a lot of these other tournaments. And it serves the Pacific Northwest, which up until recently has been greatly ignored by tournaments. So for yeah. that, those reasons, um, you know, even if we have busted Chael's chops in the past, we have uh, an immense respect of what he's doing, but I got to yeah. tell you that, man, that's got to feel pretty good to get, noticed by one Dana White who yeah. you mentioned if he's at his penthouse somewhere, that dude should be in Fight Island right now. And if he's yeah. at Fight Island right now, that man tuned in at a very different time zone just to make sure the content on the UFC was going off well. Yeah. Yeah. That, I was super, people were texting me afterwards because 
right after my match and I was like, what, what are you guys talking about? But um, <laughs> yeah, it was super surprising and, and really, really satisfying and, and cool. Well, let's do a little bit of background story. Um, yeah. I know we, we're going to be round and third here in a few minutes, but I did want to know where does your martial arts journey begin? So I started uh, when I was about eight years old. So I'm going on almost 15 years now. Um, and my dad was in the army for a long time. So I started on a, an army base in North Carolina that had a, a kids jiu-jitsu program. And uh, we started, I started out there with my, my younger brother who had since he's kind of fallen off the jujitsu wagon, which is sad. Um, he kind of, he, he kind of, he got, he got a little burnt out on it a few years ago. I always, my dad trains as well. And we always hope that he'll come back one day um, to jujitsu, but he's found other things that he likes and that's cool too, as long as he's happy, but. Of course, we always want him back in jiu-jitsu at some point. Um, it vaguely sounds, if I, hold on, it, it vaguely sounds to me like you guys at Thanksgiving, like just conveniently leave out a gi at like the dinner table and you're just like, oh, how did that get here? Yeah, we have we some do. mats in back if you want to train. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're cool, like it sounds like it's almost like yeah. this dude's just like, dude, we've been doing this since we were kids. <laughs> And I'm good with it. And you're just sitting yeah. there and you and your dad are probably being like, I mean, that's cool, dude, but like it's jujitsu and it's so much fun and you kind of suck if you don't. So yeah, it's exactly like that. Every Christmas, <laughs> Oh, Christmas open mats happening. You want to come? <laughs> Either way though, that's still a cool yeah. thing to have. You know, I don't yeah. have a sibling that uh, I ever got to train with, but I have yeah. a sister who's done photography with me on events and she looks at me and she goes, I understand it. Like just photographing it and shooting it. She yeah. goes, I understand why you like this. I understand why you're, you're doing this all the time. So yeah. I get that. It, it's kind of a cool thing. So I would say at least appreciate that you did have a brother uh, to yeah. play and mess around with. But, but where does that lead to then? So I started, started there. And then my first at the army base, uh, my dad was special forces. So luckily you get a lot of extra cool perks as far as people that will come out. So Hoist Gracie would come out about once a year um, for, for the, for the army guys. And he came out to the kids classes and would like check out the kids classes. And, and he actually promoted uh, my brother and I to our yellow white belts. So our first promotion w- was by, by Hoist Gracie, which is pretty, pretty cool. Um, kind of an awesome you know, token to have, to have a picture of, of hoist giving you your, your yellow white belt. So that was pretty cool. Um, and I trained, trained there in North Carolina for quite a few years, but my dad being in the army, we moved around a lot. Um, I ended up training in Rhode Island for a little bit with, uh, two swords, BJJ, uh, and Abmar Barbosa. And then I, we ended up moving back to North Carolina, then to Israel. I trained in Israel for, uh, a year at Atos Jerusalem there um, with Fabio and uh, Elon, who were awesome. I got my blue belt from from them. And then we moved back to North Carolina. And then after my dad retired from the army, we moved out to, to Oregon. Uh, my dad wanted to battle sex trafficking. So he, he started up an organization here, um, which was called Guardian Group. He's kind of now moved on to another organization called All Things Possible. 
um, which is another sex trafficking, uh, anti-sex trafficking organization that kind of fights sex trafficking and, and helps children that are in, in women and young men that are involved in the industry and need help getting out. Um, so that's where he kind of moved. We, we moved out to Oregon from there. And then uh, now I'm training at Clark's University of Martial Arts with Ryan Clark, who is kind of one of the, the pioneers of Oregon Jiu-Jitsu. Um, he's kind of an OG. Uh, and he has, you know, an amazing facility. He's an amazing coach. Um, we have a ton of, of awesome um, coaches and competitors. And we have pretty soon there's going to be like five or six new black belts <laughs> at the gym, which is going to be pretty cool. We're, we're, we're kind of, it's kind of been building all these years and people are getting good and it's, it's pretty cool. Well, first and foremost, obviously express some thanks to your dad. That sounds like, uh, an excellent thing that he is doing. Yeah. Um, it's a very, very uh, important aspect that a lot of people in our sport talk about, <laughs> but yeah. oftentimes won't probably do something. And uh, I can only imagine the horror stories that he's doing. So that is uh, yeah. that is some of the hardest work out there. So much, much respect and appreciation to your dad. And even more so also for getting you into jujitsu because yeah. it seems like it is something that has really ingrained its way in your life i would ask this do you remember the exact day that you fell in love with jiu-jitsu um it was probably not necessarily exact day i could give you maybe a year um probably around 15 is when i started kind of taking things seriously um but it was always kind of i was homeschooled my whole life up until college um so kind of jiu-jitsu was kind of my pe i did soccer and, and recreational soccer and, and jiu-jitsu and that was kind of my pe for my school so it was always kind of something that was in my life and i was doing and i enjoyed um and then around kind of 15 ish uh when we were in israel i kind of like switch kind of flipped a little bit and i was like this is something i'm i'm getting pretty good at this um maybe this is something that i could try and make a, a little bit of a career off of and and try and build something off of so that's where kind of that addiction, the real addiction started. It's pretty cool, man. And it sounds like it is something that has stuck. I'm curious about this. Did like the becoming a professional in jujitsu happen first or did the consideration to go into psychology happen first? Uh, so it was the, the psychology first. So uh, my plan is, I'm going to get my bachelor's and then I'm maybe going to take maybe six months or a year to really, really focus on jujitsu and competition and stuff. And then I, I'm planning to try and do maybe a little bit of, of more graduate stuff. Um, but I really want to try and create a little bit of a niche for myself in psychology with jujitsu. So kind of like a sports psychology um, niche, which is still kind of, there's concepts all over the place and I still haven't really been able to really dial in what I want to do with that yet, but I, I'm really interested in psychology. I love jiu-jitsu, and to me, like I always try and find things that I love and try and merge them together. So that's um, what I'm trying to do lately. I think that's great, man, because we we hear all these horror stories with so many athletes where they take a big loss and then they need to go through yeah. and they have to get a sports psychologist and all that sort of stuff. To be able to mitigate that for yourself, it has to be very helpful as a competitor, but also it's got to be a very interesting thing because uh, sports psychology is not new, but yeah. 
I would say its implementation in jiu-jitsu is still in its infancy. So yes. to really be there and, and to be able to explain things uh, in both worlds, I think is a, a very vital thing that the sport needs. Yeah. It's one of the things that I've been looking at uh, in terms of uh, during Corona, we've been trying to evaluate, not even evaluate, I'm not qualified to evaluate, but we've been trying to study and, and more so explore what people have been going through both physically yeah. and mentally as a result of losing some of their training. And, uh, you know, some of these interviews have turned into therapy sessions and I'm like, I'm yeah. I'm not this guy. I am learning a lot about you, but you do find how much it means to people when it gets taken away. And, and in that regard, in that respect, it's been very, um, Interesting to hear people's journeys and stuff. I guess I would ask you, what from your perspective have you seen from people in terms of their mentality when they've had it impacted as a result of Corona, if I could ask? Um, so I, I think there's a lot, whole lot of kind of depression and, and a lot of, you know, unease and a lot of, blaming on other things and trying to figure out find things that you can blame you know kind of like trying to find scapegoats for your anxiety or, or your fears or your loss of a job or or family members or whatever um i see a lot of that and i think especially with physical fitness and and with jiu-jitsu or anything like that i feel like it's so so beneficial to people um you know people at my at my gym we had to take you know of course like three or four months off of training but people still like trained at their house and they, they they still tried to kind of keep keep going a little bit and everyone at the gym is like normal and like still like super positive and, and everyone's you know kind of the same as they were before and but i look at you know the news and, and social media and stuff, which of course is kind of a cesspool as far as like what you're able to, you, it's, it's hard to like tell if this is what's really going on or if this is like a fabrication or a, um, kind of what, what, what media or, or society is trying to like put up to show, Oh, this is what it's like, but really behind it, it's, it, this is not actually what's happening. Um, but from, from what I see a lot of the time, it's people are having a hard time. And I think just, just getting out and exercising is, is so beneficial. Um, one of the things for me with my psychology studies in, in jujitsu is I'm one of the, uh, I, I took co coach some of the adult classes, but I also coach a lot of the kids jujitsu classes and I love working with kids. Um, so one of the really interesting things for me is, is trying to kind of bring that psychology, um, bring my, my knowledge in psychology, which is still, you know, somewhat limited. I'm still learning, of course, but trying to bring that into a kid's, to, to kind of teach that in a, in a kid's environment where kids can kind of understand why they're doing something, um, why that's helping them in certain ways. Um, so to me, I, I, one of the things that really interests me is we, one of the, with my dad, we, we do a lot of um, self-defense courses for like free self-defense courses for women and, and kids and stuff. And what happens is people that were victims of 
sex trafficking or they're survivors of sex trafficking or um, abuse or, or something, those people will show up and they show up and they're super, super timid and they're like super worried about, about doing this stuff. And as soon as they start doing it, you can see their confidence. You can see their self-esteem like build so, so, so high just from doing, you know, an hour or two of self-defense stuff. And I think that's kind of goes to show in a, in a time like this, where there's so much uncertainty with election, um, coronavirus and everything, there's so much uncertainty. If you, if you try and find something that you enjoy or, or find, you know, if it's exercise, if it's, if you want to do self-defense class or you want to do jujitsu, you want to do some kind of martial art where you can kind of like tune out everything that's going on outside of what you're doing right in that moment and kind of be able to, it's almost like meditative in a way. And I think that's super, super helpful for people. That's great stuff. Well, <clears throat> listen, Aaron, uh, you know, I, I appreciate the conversation. I would love to continue this. I'm sure you're going to be competing more. Obviously Pan Ams are happening this weekend. Um, right. More importantly, I would love to be able to reference you back when we're trying to figure out what's going on not just psychologically, but I, I think that it's very interesting in that you have also a weapon when you are teaching the kids of saying like, hey, listen, I was a kid who was also training yeah. uh, very young and you've seen a number of people, you've experienced it yourself. And I think that is a valuable asset to those kids who both are just trying to learn a sport and could also be the people who end up killing us because they're so good yeah. at jujitsu. Like, <laughs> yeah. There's a whole reason why I see you very um, knowledgeable and, and very chill when you're finishing your bow and arrow is because it's like, well, you've been there. So yeah. it, it's just, if you're, if you're able to drill it and it's muscle memory and it's got something that you've got uh, a number of reps to, and that you've been able to pull off, well, you know, you're, you're probably going to get it pretty well. So yeah. um, I would like to ask this before we go ahead and call it a day. Uh, can we help you give out any shout outs or take care of any sponsors that you want to get before we get you on out of here, sir? Uh, sure. So War Tribe, I'm wearing one of their shirts right now. They are a jiu-jitsu apparel and gi company. They make awesome gis. They make rash guards. They make no gi stuff, um, as well as sweatshirts and, and t-shirts and everything. Uh, Randy is is the owner, and he he's one of my training partners, and he's he's given me a, a bunch of opportunities to to they they've given me geese, they've given me help with with tournaments and and things. War Tribe, check them out; they're awesome. Um, they're located here in, in Bend, and uh, they've taken a, a couple hits from from the coronavirus, as, as I'm sure so many businesses and uh, lots of jujitsu gi companies have um so definitely check them out i'm sure they have a couple sales going on or something so check them out get some of their gear it's awesome um and then my gym clark's university if you're in the bend oregon area definitely check them out um we're here all the time and i'm here all the time uh come train it's really world-class stuff ryan is so so knowledgeable about not only jujitsu, but he he is super knowledgeable knowledgeable in Muay Thai as well as JKD, which is uh, Jeet Kune Do, uh, Bruce Lee's uh, martial art. One of the scariest people you'll you'll ever meet, and nicest people at the same time because he's so nice. And then as soon as he picks up uh, 
a knife or a stick or puts on a gi or puts on his gloves, all of a sudden you see this, how much knowledge he has and how many different ways he could take you apart, you know, which is pretty cool. So definitely check out Clark's University if, if you're in the Bend area. And then uh, my, my strength and conditioning coach, his name is Dwayne uh, at Epoch Descent um, here in Bend as well. Amazing strength coach and would definitely recommend him. What's well, great, Aaron? I just wanted to tell you, man. Thank you for holding it down for the gi. Yeah. There's a whole bunch of us. You know, we look at you guys, and I don't like putting pressure on people, but I like telling you, listen, we we really need this, man. Like, we, we don't have any other people going in the gi, and when they yeah. do, and especially when there's a bunch of drunk people with beers yelling out stand em up versions of all things gi. Thank you so much for putting on a great yeah. show. And uh, you know, I, I I've liked your vibe, and I wanted to make sure that you know we haven't had the opportunity to do a post interview on one of these things yet, but I just was so happy that you were able to put another great showing at submission underground. I said, we need to end this. We need to get to talk to you. And I'm really glad that we did, man. So uh, I look forward to talking to you again in the future. I know that you're going to keep going and and grinding and I wish you luck over at this week's Pan Ams, man. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, Thank you for the opportunity. It's really cool. First time ever doing any kind of interview or podcast or anything. So that's really cool. And I mean, thank you so much. You did the work. I just put you on. Ladies and gentlemen, Aaron Diggs, everybody. All right, everybody. That was a fun episode. I told you we had a jam-packed episode. I cannot thank you enough for sticking around for the entire thing. If you just showed up, go watch it from the beginning. You can do that now. I think. I don't know. I don't know how the internet works. I just know I put this out there, and for the most part, you watch it. Anyway, uh, again, thanks to our sponsors, NogiBJJGear.com. You can get cool shit like this. Look at this. Look at this iconic photo. Look at these iconic wrestlers. This is one of the best moments in WrestleMania history. Literally stopped to look at the audience. Changed the trajectory of Hollywood Hulk Hogan and The Rock's match just by the audience reaction. It's impressive. Anyway, if you use the promotional code GRAPPLINGHOUR15, you take 15% off of whatever you put in the cart. Also, our thanks to our friends over at DodgyCollective.com. That's going to do it here for this week. We'll probably see you this Saturday for another fight companion, and then we will return again next week with, who knows, some more surprises as we will continue on here at the Grappling Hour. My thanks to all of you guys again for the past two years of amazing, amazing moments. We're just getting started here. So until then, it's been a great day for grappling. We'll see you back on the mats. Eventually. <laughs>